the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sam Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. This podcast is supported by Patreon, patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you want to get two additional podcasts from us a month, go and back us at the XL tier. That's enough of a hard sell on that one for the time being. Um, we've just done uh, a Japanese crime fiction, a 101. Matthew absolutely powered us through that one. Um, but in today's <laughs> episode, we're going to um, take it easy with another mailbag. We were going to do what we've been playing. Uh, I haven't quite played enough to justify that as an episode idea. And we had about 30 questions from our listeners backed up in our Discord. So we thought we'd fire through those. Um, however, Matthew, I will give people a bit of... Uh, kind of what we've been playing sort of bonus by asking you how horizon was horizon forbidden west so i know you've just finished that right so um how's that been for you really good a much improved sequel i think i think they finally kind of the first horizon i don't really rate i think it's you know quite a good looking world but there's just nothing in it and i never really knew what to do with it and the combat never really took off for me and there was it just felt like a a step short of everything of what it was meant to be and in this one i felt like they they really kind of hammered that out um and you know worked out how to make the combat really pop you know the monster design was even more incredible than the first game you know it looks absolutely amazing and the, the actual kind of map filler was pretty good um obviously it's not a genre for everyone it's quite baggy stuff um but if you are into spending you know 60 plus hours uh, clearing a map of icons this this is a pretty good way of doing it but the only downside i can't remember how have you finished horizon one no i've only played uh, about 10 hours of it um i was slowly getting there but then elden ring came out basically yeah so like the one thing that's amazing about horizon one is like the story it's like the backstory of the world which kind of is the story of the game is you're, you're going around uncovering basically what happened to leave civilization in the state you find it and that stuff's really good. Like that's the one absolutely like, you know, solid gold idea in Horizon One, I think. And this one doesn't quite have anything as interesting on the story front, unfortunately. Like it, you know, y- you can't establish a world a second time, I guess. So it's trying to find kind of details to pile on top of those foundations, and it was fine, and I still liked that stuff. Um, but that is one area where it maybe doesn't like land quite as well. Weirdly, I think there are a few gameplay tweaks away from actually going down more of like a like Bioware Mass Effecty route with this series. Okay. In that, maybe this is a superficial comparison, but there's like a hub area which is quite like the Normandy, and whenever you return to it, you you are kind of collecting allies who hang out at the base and you can check back in on them and they will tell you their thoughts on the story at the given time which is very like the normandy and there are they a lot of them have like loyalty missions they don't amount to anything that's what i mean about it. it's like it, it isn't quite a mass effect too but it could be in that you go off and then you spend some time with them i think if they found a way of like having those ai companions like with you in the open world or like you know, uh, more missions where you could choose to take them with you, maybe, and and maybe have some branching consequences. It wouldn't actually be a huge leap from mm. that to this. I mean, it even like has the structure of like you're basically collecting people to mount the final assault in this game, which is a bit like the suicide mission. So yeah, it's almost like I'm almost more interested in what ones if it did more with that than just another open world game because it's definitely set up for a third. So. Yeah, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I suppose, like, uh, what is it about 
this one that coalesced as an open world game more for you than the first one what is it it does differently enough to like i guess in terms of combat and exploration to make it a bit more uh matthew castle friendly I mean, on the exploration front, there's just a lot more to find. I mean, there's still no surprises. If it isn't a map marker, there isn't anything there in this game. Like, there's there's nothing to dig out, like, loot-wise. But the actual things you find, you know, and, and that's true of lots of games. You know, I'd say that's also true in, like, Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, you know, games of that ilk. But the difference is, I think, is when you actually get there... There's quite a lot of like bespoke craft in the individual things. There's there's not a lot of stuff that just endlessly repeats. So I'll give you an example. Like there's a there's a feature in this game called cauldrons, which are like these sort of robotic dungeons that you have to explore to kind of download the code that lets you override the kind of robots in the outside world. So if you want to take control of them and have them fight on your side, you first need to kind of tackle these these sort of robot dungeons. But each of those dungeons themselves it isn't just like a templated thing. You know, that in an Assassin's Creed game, it, it probably would be. You know, it would just be, oh, we're going here, we fight the same monsters, we do the same thing and we tick it off. You know, here, you know, there are story elements to them. So like in one of them, you know, it starts off as a cauldron and then it kind of, halfway through becomes more of a tool mech mission which is how you uncover elements of the map for example like they have some sort of fun with their templated elements mm. which is quite like unique i think in open world games because the nature of map filler is you just sort of like bang out 10 of the same thing but they'd rather settle for four interesting things than 10 of the same things if that makes sense and i thought there was slightly you know there was hints of that in the first game but i think they really doubled down on this and actually it makes all the kind of box ticking stuff feel quite worthwhile ah that sounds good um yeah I'll... it's good it's like i was i was weighing up whether i should you know i was thinking like is this like the most improved sequel since mass effect 2 or am i just thinking mass effect 2 you know in terms of because it has these structural similarities i don't know but like considering i do not particularly care for the first game this one i thought was really good it's no it's not like a masterpiece it's probably like an eight right um but it's massive probably a little bit too massive and um yeah has has, does some interesting stuff that's cool um how do you feel they um interpreted the old uh Zelda gliding uh, cloth thing, Matthew, like a yeah. little gliding tool. Is that done as well as Zelda, would you say? It's it's fine. Like, really, the problem is, like, the climbing is still very kind of controlled where you can do it. But I will say for the glider, there's lots of bits in the games where they engineer it so that you end up standing in a very high place and you get to do, like, an amazing long glide down, like, a whole mountain while all those graphics happen around you. Right. Like, they know you know how the world looks is one of their strengths and so they deliberately kind of script stuff that and she'll even say in her thing like wow if i glided it would look amazing (laughs) 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 or some such bullshit right and it's often true like that you know they they've got a the landscape's quite kind of lumpy and up and down and that actually makes it quite fun to kind of glide down but as an actual like i i don't know I kind of forgot it was there most of the time. Like, I'd maybe use it to save myself from some, like, long falls, but it isn't like a... I wouldn't say it's the actual... Like, the act of moving through this world is, is is you know, particularly special. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, I have lent my partner the, my copy of it. I will finish the first one, learn what this rad backstory is, 
and then go and play the second one on my shiny PS5 at some point. So uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's good. The really mad thing, you know, they showed off like all the kind of um, beaches and the kind of the San Francisco stuff they've really lent into with all the box art or whatever. Yeah, like. I genuinely didn't see any of that stuff until about like 45 50 hours in. Wow. Like okay. it's super late. Like it's the it, you know s- slight spoiler is it's sort of the last act of the game. Like they really bury that stuff in. Um like there's a lot of desert before you get to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably uh did the old, you know, what what are our marketing pillars America. So let's take the most uh, recognizable bits of the game and promote that. There's a really good stretch that involves las vegas and but like a future las vegas because in their timeline the world's kind of gone to shit a bit further down our real world timeline right um so it's kind of like las vegas but like a mad hologram powered las vegas which is it's pretty cool like that's that's you know visually one of the like the standout areas i'd say it's definitely there's there's a lot of fun stuff in this i was quite impressed that sounds pretty neat i mean you know it sounds like they've wandered into the old fallout new vegas thing of we've got a cool casino bit and then lots of desert surrounding it. Um, yeah. Which, uh, hey, well, you know. yeah but, but they do some interesting stuff. Like, they're like, well, it's the desert, but it's also, like, our big water level. And right. you're like, oh, okay. You know, there's some, like, uh, sort of tropey twists that you maybe don't see coming. I think they're definitely having a bit of fun with, with you know, your expectations from this game. That sounds good. Like, because I feel like it's... Um, as much as you love Breath of the Wild, one of your personal brand pillars in recent years is to to be, um, you know, when people say this game is as good as Breath of the Wild, to go, like, definitely not, which is, you know, still true, of course. But, like, <laughs> it feels like you've been won round by um, a slightly more refined sequel. Yeah, Alyssa, you know, I'll, I'll be the bigger man and, and, <laughs> and own up and say I liked it. You know, I'm, I'm not so childish. Like the me of ten years ago may not have been as gracious, <laughs> and may have thought Brand Castle was more important than the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that guy liked Red Steel, so um, what does he? Yeah, know? I mean that guy was a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh... I joke, of course. So I'm guessing you got all these hours in, Matthew, because Catherine's been away at PAX, right? So you've yeah, been, uh... I had the week off. I mean, the, lo- the last few days was very like stay inside, fed myself almost exclusively with Deliveroo. <laughs> I did um, almost message you saying, oh, do you fancy going to the pub? But then um, I think last time I messaged you saying go to the pub, you went, oh, I'm not really a pub guy. And then we didn't do anything. So I thought... Oh, no, I, I've, I, I, um, uh, I've definitely <laughs> miscommunicated something there. I, I, I do like the pub. Well, I also worry that every time I invite you to the pub now, you think I just want to talk about podcast ideas. So like I mean, that's... Maybe there's, uh... a bit, maybe there's a bit of that. <laughs> But so now the me- Patreon's launched, we don't have to endlessly discuss the Patreon. No, that's true. That is uh, out of our lives. But um, Matthew, I understand in your sort of delivery bonanza uh, this week, you had um, didn't something go wrong with one of the orders, and you ended up with basically like a, a like a mountain of food. What happened there? Yeah, I ordered a chicken chow mein basically, <laughs> and what I got was uh, a, f- a large family's dinner uh, <laughs> by mistake. And I tweeted a picture of it saying something's gone wrong. I then had uh, a thousand people tweeting at me. Not a thousand. I mean, it, this wasn't a Blorco style breakout. <laughs> uh, don't, don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, lots of people going, looks like something went really right, if you ask me. But um, I didn't really want to get into it because uh, I didn't want to seem ungracious. But unfortunately, a lot of what the family had ordered were pork dishes. And I don't really like pork. Oh. Um, so they sent me a load of food that I couldn't really eat. 
All right, I'd have come around and taken those off your hands, but it would have been a bit strange to just turn up at your door to collect some yeah, pork yeah. dishes. I might microwave um, some, uh, some chickeny black bean sauce thing the next day, and I had uh, a beef in black bean sauce from their meal. Um, right. But I, it did tickle me, the idea that, that there was me with all this food and there was them with a single chow mein, which is really <laughs> the opposite of the feast they ordered. <laughs> One night, um, me and uh, Phil Savage, um, I used to work with him on PC Gamer, um, yeah. came on our Yakuza episode. We both ordered a burger from the same restaurant and um, uh, mine turned up with like an ice cream. And like it was, I was like, I didn't know where the ice cream had come from. I was like, you know, delighted that I got this ice cream. It seemed it was complimentary because the first time I ever used Deliveroo, um, ate it. Um, about a year and a half later in the pub, talked about the time I ordered this burger and got a free ice cream. And he went, that night I ordered an ice cream I never got. And I was like, wow. Okay, <laughs> it's like the end of like a Kirby Enthusiasm episode where all the kind of like threads kind of coalesce. So, uh... Or a Twilight Zone episode twist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like the end of a chapter in Cloud Atlas, uh, you know. <laughs> Um, it plays some mournful PC music as your connection <laughs> through time is revealed to be an ice cream you once ate. <laughs> ah, good times. Um, cut to cut to Phil as a cannibal in the future, <laughs> jabbering about his ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Me on horseback, yeah, but played by Halle Berry. Um, <laughs> basically bored down what that film is uh, very succinctly there. Um, so, yeah, uh, good stuff. Um so, yeah, I feel like I should throw something into the what we've been playing, Pot Matthew, since you threw in Horizon. So I've been playing a bit of Sunset Overdrive, actually. I did say on, the, uh, on Patreon we do like a what we've been uh, playing, watching, um, reading kind of post. And I did mention I'd, I'd talk about Sunset Overdrive in the next what we've been playing. We're not really doing that this week, but I thought I'd mention it anyway, since I promised to kind of bring it up. Um, was pleasantly surprised by how kind of like uh, cool it is, this 2015 uh, sort of like Xbox One exclusive um, that has kind of like the tone of it is sort of like Saints Row with energy drinks. There's a lot of like, <laughs> yeah. hey, kind of wacky tone going on. Um, but then it also has like grinding across a city mechanics and lots of different movement options. Really nice feeling movement. Feels like kind of a precursor to Spider-Man, Matthew, um, that Insomniac Ooh. would um, later make on PS4, of course. Um, yeah, I'm really, really fond of it. I wish it had the old Series X uh, frame rate boost. What can you do? Um, yeah. But it does seem to like... It has the kind of insomniac thing of we'll load you up with a load of cool weapons. They steadily get better and better, the weapons. That's like a kind of, you know, a ratchet and clank thing. We know how you feel about that. Um, but, like, <laughs> as an open world game that feels like it's got its own sort of identity, it's 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 pretty great, I think. I think the difference to ratchet and clank is it has a really good combo system that, like, amplifies everything you're doing. Right, so, like, yeah. the combat really does, like, uh, ramp up in each fight in a way that it's, it doesn't really in Ratchet and Clank. In Ratchet and Clank, it sort of ends with how zany the weapons are. Here, that's like the first step. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. Um, and the, the scenarios get pretty intense because you're fighting a lot of zombie-style enemies. Well, there's actually quite a big variety of enemies in this. There's some quite quite smart, larger enemies too. But like, um, yeah, I would agree with that. The combo system really helps. Um, the open world's really nice as well. Quite a handcrafted-feeling city. Doesn't feel like vast, but... Um, each district feels like it's got its own identity, I would say. Because mm-hmm. it's a little bit more sort of cartoony. It doesn't feel like it's trying to mimic a real city. It's, to, it's trying to be like heightened and um, and like the, the areas are meant to be themed. Um, yeah, just really, really good, Matthew. I'm told that a lot of the better uh, traversal options unlock deeper into the game. Do you know if that's true or not? Like, do you, does that yeah, progress as well? Uh, 
some of them I think were tied to DLC. I think the DLC added some quite good stuff, or maybe some stuff that makes water a bit more interesting. Right. I think that's like a limitation of the main game. Yeah, it definitely has a drip feed of stuff throughout, though. You you know, it 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 does keep changing it up. Maybe there's some some of the humour is maybe a little bit wearying at times, but oh yeah, yeah, it is hard work on the uh, on, <laughs> on that front. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm considering skipping the cutscenes and like putting a podcast on while I'm playing it. Like that's um. Not a great sign for how I feel about the dialogue, but um, yeah, got enough yeah. going on kind of visually that I just seemed I really like it. Um, yeah, and like um, a precise feeling of movement as well. It feels like it rewards you for uh, precision. It's not that hard to do anything, but to kind of like um, keep momentum going when you're traveling, it's um, still a little bit of a challenge in itself. So, yeah, really good, Matthew. Um, mm. Nice, pleasant surprise. Feels like maybe didn't get the attention it deserved because it, it landed that weird early Xbox One time that was. Um, a little bit of a kind of like black spot in people's memory i guess uh mm. so yeah but um good stuff i hope it kind of re-emerges at some point no it's on pc as well but yeah that was a nice game pass treat i've also been playing um lego star wars the skywalker saga so um we're up to the end of episode two now in that they're firing through the prequels quite fast which i appreciate of course because the movies are terrible and all this does <laughs> is remind you of those movies but the game's um the game's pretty cool it's like a kind of uh i suppose like a augmented version of the lego formula where um locations are turned into like vast open worlds i would say not necessarily not unnecessarily vast but like i don't feel the need to spend loads of time in them exploring them and finding stuff but um i could Mm. see how a younger player might appreciate just going around like coruscant and finding all the secrets and all that sort of stuff like um it caters to that quite well um, and then has slightly better combat than the previous Lego games and um, lets you fly between planets and stuff like that. A very elaborate um, depiction mm. of the Star Wars universe. Um, me and my partner are playing it. A really good, like, two people can play it while having a conversation kind of game, you know? Um, <laughs> with some legit funny cutscenes as well. Have you played this one, Matthew? Uh, I've played only a tiny bit of um, A New Hope, um, and I got to the map and saw... I picked up like a I don't know whatever the doodad is Kyber <laughs> brick is it Yeah that's Some right yeah. Ki- yeah and it was like you've got one of like 1100 <laughs> of these I was like fuck that <laughs> and um yeah that was my uh, Lego Star Wars story <laughs> Yeah good stuff um I I hate myself so I thought we'd start with the Phantom Menace um it gives you the option of which uh, trilogy to start with and uh the completionist in my brain just went with that, and it's like, well, you know, that's um, punishing myself, frankly. But um, yeah, I uh, thought, I thought, yeah. I, I don't know if I can't we'll carry on with them, but you know, I thought I'd get all the get all the trash out of the way and then save um, the Last Jedi, you know, the good Star Wars film for the end. <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny if that was like a, like an eight-hour campaign in itself, just doing the Last Jedi, and the rest were like, and then like you know. The Rise of Skywalker is 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, very nicely done. Uh, kind of bit um, of uh, fan service. Do you, like, this has taken them a long time to make. And this is a studio that used to make, like, maybe a couple of Lego games a year. Yeah. And I must admit, from the little bit I've played, I do think, like, what kind of happened? Because it doesn't seem that radically different or that that much more ambitious than... The games they were making back when they were super productive like you know marvel avengers had a whole new york to to poot around in and that seemed pretty amazing at the time so i'm uh, yeah it's still a bit of a mystery as to like why this took you know four years or whatever compared to the other ones but i do remember I, it was, maybe we'll never know i do remember it's playable at e3 2019 like i remember <laughs> 
James Davenport and PC Gamer, he went and played this and was like, oh, guys, this game is rad, actually. It's got proper third-person shooting mechanics in it and stuff. So, yeah, it mm. seemed like it was around for a while. But, you know, we did have a pandemic in the middle of that. Um, yeah. yeah I think they changed, sure. Didn't they change their engine as well? I think that was part of it. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on this out there, Matthew, that people can uh, go and find. Okay. Um, but, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. But um, certainly it feels like the open worlds took a bit of effort themselves. Like, you do have vast player spaces to walk around in. And they seem to have done it for every single planet. Every single planet has like a an open worldy bit to wander around. Mm. Kind of like the old hubs, the hubs of old in the Lego games, um, but like one for every single planet, which um, all with their own collectibles and some like little micro puzzles to solve and stuff like that. Like I say, I think if I was like 12, this would be my sort of perfect game or like right. 11, something like that. As an adult, it's a bit like I kind of, my partner wants to stop and smash things because um, she's like, well... <laughs> You know, this is this is fun doing this. And she hadn't really played a Lego game before. And I'm like, I just want to get through this. Like, um, I was like, like, darling, we've got nine episodes to get through. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but she and she's saying, well, if I want to watch Star Wars, I'll just watch Star Wars. Like, this, I'm here for the game bit. And I was like, that's kind of a good point, actually. It's like, if you want to watch Star Wars, they are just all there on Disney+. Plus. So I can see how the, this might not fulfill a kind of storytelling need for you, which is uh, mm. fine. But yeah, I'll, I'll carry on with that. And uh We'll see what happens. I'm excited to get out of the prequels. I feel like I've done my um, my sort of time in the prequel mines now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Matthew, it's a mailbag. We've got loads of questions here. Do you want to read out the first one? Then we'll go from there. Yeah, let's do it. Instantly, I was reading through some of these questions, and I like the variety of ways people address us. Um, will be a theme of this episode, so just keep, a, keep an ear out for that. <laughs> um, hi, chaps. I hope you're well. I've been looking at a bunch of cringe-tastic game magazine covers from yesteryear lately, and the one that I remember quite vividly is Edge's famous The Girls Issue, which just featured the bottom half of one of the Dead or Alive girls in a bikini. Did either of you have experience when working on magazines of being forced to try and cater to the horny teen boys demographic? Love the podcast, keep up the good work. That was from Adam of our Discord. Yeah, I mean, as ever, like um, our listeners want us to dish dirt on um, print media things, Matthew, um, which, hey, we called the podcast a back page, so maybe that's on us. Um, So I couldn't really think of anything except for, this wasn't forced on me specifically, but the classified ads at the back of the old games mags were very, very cursed. (laughs) We always hated those internally because they made the mag feel trashier than it actually was. Like, you'd go into the back cover and there'd be like a badly photoshopped Sarah Michelle Gellar Buffy head on like a some random naked body and it was like (laughs) text this number for like eight quid and we'll send you one bad jpeg and it's like that kind of stuff where let me slay you my lord (laughs) i think you're giving the uh the copy too much credit there personally um but i hated those as if memory serves someone complained about them in 2008 and made quite a big public complaint about them that's when they just got rid of them outright um i think future did and then imagine did around the same time yeah i was glad when they were gone when I, yeah, when I joined Future, um, I remember we used to have these like town hall meetings um, with like the management, and I remember someone getting up and uh, a big kind of sort of diatribe against these classified ads and how they were kind of against our values and and yeah, like Future definitely got rid of them like around the time I started, but you know there was like a tradition of like mags coming in and then 
you know, you'd hear people reading out like the absolute shockers that had been printed next to their work and, you know, really, really vile stuff. <laughs> um, the super porny, super porny mobile phone things. Um, but in terms of like covers, not really. I mean, by the, you know, everything was so sort of, you know, I say legit and classy by the time I started. Also, I was on a Nintendo mag. <laughs> it wasn't like there was anything particularly spicy on there. Um, the peach, the peach the... swimsuit issue, of course, Matthew. You, de- <laughs> yeah. you declined to talk about that. Yeah, I think that edge cover is very like tongue in cheek. Yeah, it, it is. It isn't like them being like four because that is an edge. <laughs> no, the content inside is quite you know because uh, it's that particular era of edge. It's a bit more academic, mm. if, if memory serves. Because I was reading Edge around that time too. You bought um, it because of the bikini, and then <laughs> we're like, oh man. <laughs> this is just telling me off for liking it. Do you know what? I think I only read that issue when I was in um, Futures Officers years later. Um, right. Because like, there's that underground, like, um, not underground, it's just on the ground floor, um, like, library of magazines. And um, I'd never read that one. And maybe it's just a scan online or something. But um, I'd read, like, one, one of the issues after it, which was the one that had, I think, um, the mod symbol on the cover. And it was about, like, how the modding scene on PC... Um, they did a whole issue on that, which is pretty cool. Um, and like in that, it, it it had an image of the previous, like the back issues. And I saw that cover and I thought, what is that issue right there? But yeah, I read it years later and it just wasn't that, of course. But, um, you know, it was a different it was a different time for sure. Um, mm. In a more general sense, I would say that like rather be forced to try and cater like these were male dominated teams. And they were, a, you know, I would say this applies less to Endgamer, which is dated like much better than some of the mags I worked on. But they were kind of laddier mags, the more PlayStation and Xboxy ones, and so um, I wouldn't say they were kind of horny as such, but they were certainly felt like they existed in the same era as like Zoo and Nuts and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. I guess I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't just defend outright all the stuff I've ever written. I wouldn't. So yeah, yeah. there's some, I mean, even in Gamer, which was like super kind of asexual, um, had. Uh, you know, there'd be like slightly. You know, there's when I go back to old copies now, there are like off-color jokes where you're like, "This wouldn't even have registered as off-color at the time, but by today's standards, it's maybe like a little cruel or a little unfair." Or that's just time, though. Yeah, that's fine. If someone you like br- if someone like copy and pasted a scan of something appalling I wrote 15 years ago, I would simply say it was a different time. I regret this in retrospect. Sorry about that. I hope we could all move on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like- yeah. People will be fine, I think. People are fine. You know, if I did something 10 years ago and it didn't affect you back then, I think I think you're okay. You're still okay now, you know. That... Yeah, apart from all those people you killed, Matthew, but that's... Um... Yeah, I, that's, but that's a different matter. <laughs> okay, next up. Um, as with all the Souls games, I turned Elden Ring into a podcast game today while I cracked a bottle of red and farmed runes for a few hours. Other than that, podcast games have been Tony Hawk and Forza. Any go-to podcast games from you guys? That's uh, Cboy77. Most of these are via the Discord, by the way. Um, so Matthew, have you got any go-to kind of podcast games when you're listening to the big picture? What you sort of tend to be playing? Uh, washing up. Uh, <laughs> that's a big podcast opportunity in our house. <laughs> um, pop in the headphones, do some washing up. That's always good. Anything with like endless loops. So like Dead Cells. When I was playing that, I'd sometimes pop on a podcast in the background because I was just dying every ten minutes and then going back through it. Um, mopping up icons from like an Assassin's Creed map, a Far Cry map horizon maybe not during the campaign itself but definitely in the aftermath rpg grinding seems like a great podcast time 
I remember listening to some stuff when I was playing um, Yakuza Like a Dragon. There's like a like a multi-tiered sort of dungeon that you kind of fight your way through to kind of grind up. And sometimes I just bang on, you know, a podcast there and thump some people for a couple of hours. Actually, Sunset Overdrive that you mentioned is a really good podcast game because a lot of it is story free and there are so many collectibles in that game yeah and like you want to drown out the audio sometimes so people start talking so um yeah <laughs> i get it that makes sense yeah i i yeah i have a few of these so um uh i think like most recently halo infinite has very much been a podcast game just because uh you can sort of like i tend to have like one ear with the game audio than one with the podcast audio um, which right. sounds like hell, but it kind of works all right with Halo. You just need to kind of know when like people are shooting at you, basically. So um, not a big deal. Um, but like the big one I've gotten into, uh, Matthew, is uh, Tetris 99, actually. Ooh. I've gotten massively into that this year. Uh, you know, a benefit of being on the uh, Castle family Nintendo Switch Online account, of course. <laughs> um, and like it's, um, it's, it's kind of perfect when I'm... Um, sort of like working out or something and like um, want to do two things at once. So I'm like, well, okay, I'll listen to this audio while also playing this. I think Tetris 99 might be bullshit. <laughs> like it's really like nicely done. Uh, the matchmaking's really fast. In in principle, like Battle Royale Tetris sounds like it wouldn't work, but it's, you know, it's quite slickly done. But the um, what it seems to come down to is a game of like, did I get ganged up on by loads of other players or not? But to, by matching kind of lines in the old Tetris style, you send attacks towards um, other players, and it's, it, it drops uh, more lines underneath them and pushes their um, all their Tetraminos up. So um, basically, it's like this kind of like rising water feeling to um, to playing Tetris, which mm. means you have to be going faster and faster to clear the lines. And all you can really do is pick. You can ha- you can pick like a random player to attack. You can pick um, attacking other players who are attacking you. Uh, there's like a, diff- a a few different options. But sometimes there'll be like um, you'll get down to like last twenty, and suddenly like four players are sending block uh, bricks towards you, and so the whole thing gets pushed up in a matter of seconds, and you're out of the game. So as a multiplayer experience, I think it leaves something to be desired. But are you, um, yeah, are go you on. Go- are you good at are you okay at Tetris? Yeah, I'm all right at it, yeah. So yeah. maybe you are a, like a valid threat, and that is the strategy. I mean, I would feel, because I'm very bad at Tetris, I would feel quite cross if everyone was punishing me, because you just have to look at my Tetris board, or field, or whatever they call it, to see that I am quite shit at Tetris. <laughs> well, it genuinely eats away at me when like uh, I let a line go that I haven't completed. Like That kind of kills me inside a little bit. Um, so I'm big, in, I'm big into the like lining up um, kind of like four sort of like lines of tetris at once basically i struggle with the terminology of this game i don't know why but anyway the only way you would the only reason you would attack me is like putting me out of my misery (laughs) it's you're like let's get this guy out of tetris (laughs) (laughs) like this guy is clearly struggling let's just take him out back and put a bullet in him (laughs) there is also a sense of this game as well that like once you've cleared like once you're down to like last five players it's like going from regionals to nationals and it's like <laughs> suddenly everyone in the room can see each other and they're like they can see that i'm actually like fallible and they, they can fuck me up no problem and then suddenly <laughs> i'm pushed out immediately i've only won one game of tetris 99 so i can't be that good um and that, a game of it i would like i would think statistically there would there would always be a better player i've never won a game of it there would always be a better player than me yeah, I suppose to be honest though, Matthew, there, I think the matchmaking glitched because there was only about 41 players in this game. So right. I um, thinned out the competition somewhat. And uh, yeah, but now it has unlocked like um, 
a kind of like a, a, another mode basically that's like the winners only mode of um Ooh. tetris uh, 99 ticket to the big leagues <laughs> yeah I, I feel like i stole the ticket but yeah it's so like the secret room at the back of the casino they take you into where you start gambling with like bits of your body and stuff <laughs> that happens yeah i don't remember that in uh, martin scorsese's casino but it seems um plausible so it yeah that was in my casino <laughs> Uh, you're going to order, open up a casino and bath? Is that next for you? Is that what you no, do with the Patreon money? I, I, no, because I've been watching Ozark, in which some people set up a casino, and let me tell you, they had a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> By the like, way, I, I am enjoying this like new sub-genre of tweets you've tapped into, which is <laughs> <laughs> literally explaining what happens in Ozark in very like uh, surprise terms. Would you like to explain, give a little overview there, Matthew? Uh, not really. You see, it's interesting that you've identified them as a subgenre of Ozark tweets. I've, I, my new formula is just saying how I wouldn't like to be involved in what is clearly a very terrible situation. <laughs> so you say, oh, I wouldn't want to be involved with these gangsters. They seem a bit too much for me or whatever. And people seem to dig it. <laughs> this is so cynical. I shouldn't be revealing my, my thinking behind my tweets. That's really more what I'm trying to get at. It's like, imagine me in Ozark or The Northman, you know? <laughs> it's like, um, it's like uh, oh, yeah, I'm starting to think the uh, birds in uh, Ozark are bad people. And it's like, uh, <laughs> and it's like yeah, but it's, it's, is, good. it's good. They're so obviously bad people, right? Like, Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get the joke. Well, I mean, the number of likes I'm getting would suggest people do not get it. <laughs> <laughs> is a creator of uh, Mayor of East Town in your mentions going another great tweet, Matthew? Is he uh, is he in there? Because he follows you, right? He does follow me. Actually, I forgot about that. Uh, I forgot that he was following me, and now I feel bad for all my like inane bullshit tweets. Yeah, I've actually like um, when notable people have followed me. Sometimes I make or remove them as a follower because I feel too much pressure to tweet in front of people I genuinely admire. So <laughs> that's preposterous, isn't it? But uh, I have done that with comic book writers before. Um, yeah, so uh, the only other one I was going to mention here, weirdly I've been getting into um, as a go-to game, Pokemon Pinball Ruby and Sapphire. That's okay. a random one. Um, but I was like, I'm big into um, Pokemon Pinball and the Game Boy Color, um, but which was a very compromised version of <laughs> Pinball in that the Game Boy Color couldn't even depict the whole table at one time because um, mm. without a transition screen between top and bottom, whereas this one is obviously a GBA game, so it... Um, it does. And it's just a good little pinball game that combines um, uh, sort of classic pinball stuff with collecting different Pokemon as a kind of like overall quest, I suppose. So uh, I don't know. I've just been playing that. I've probably played about 10 hours of that now. I don't really know what happened. But um, yeah, I don't know. Solid little game there. So those are my podcast games at the time, Matthew. Uh, right now, Matthew. So um, do you want to get on with the next question? Uh, this refers to the opening area of Elden Ring chat and tutorials in general. I think all the From Software games have wonderful tutorials at opening areas that introduce players to the way the world works. For instance, there's almost always a boss that kills you before it takes uh, takes you through to the real game itself, introducing the idea that death is a constant in the game. The, uh, this idea is similar in Elden Ring, where the tree sentinel is far too strong for you to beat, understatement of the year, with the game urging you to avoid this mad imposing bastard by simply skirting around him. In Dark Souls, the opening boss you first face while having no weapons or armour at all, and you need to run through the exit at the side. Again, the focus is on you avoiding a straight-up fight rather than directly engaging. By making the first enemy you encounter so imposing, it's telling you to be smart. 
Direct combat should be avoided until necessary. It's so unlike other games, where opening areas are always so prescriptive with no player agency, where you pummel all enemies to death quite easily with pop-ups saying press L2 to heavy attack five times. Are there any other games that have great opening areas tutorials and treat the players not like mindless droids? Asks uh, Welsh Boy Mick. Yeah, so I think the ultimate one here, Matthew, I imagine you've got this answer to, is Breath of the Wild. The uh, original kind of the kind of like opening plateau section mm-hmm. uh, just gives you a little bit of the entire game. Um, they gate the world away just for a little while until you know what you're doing, and um, I think that's kind of like the the perfect opening tutorial section, really, because um, it whets your appetite for what's to come, um, breaks down all of its mechanics quite elegantly, and you're never really mm. lost when you go out into that world, even though like um, you can complete the game in any order you want. Uh, it feels like the de- the developers have given you all the tools to succeed out there. Um, not mastery, but enough to kind of get by yeah. so you can go and master the game. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. And the difference there is is like you can go out and potter around and discover it for yourself. But there are also people who are, are more explicitly there to explain certain things or to say, try this or that. Um, which I think is like the, maybe the difference between like Breath of the World and the FromSoft stuff is they would never they would never have something so literal buried you know, somewhere in the game. Whereas Zelda, it's like, it's there if you spend the time. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. Um, I think another uh, tutorial I really like for having the kind of game in a kind of microcosm is the, um, are the training levels of Hitman 2016. Oh, yeah, they're great. Um, just because, you know, they take, you know, everything that makes a Hitman game Hitman, but in a very small space. Because once you get into the main game, you know, they're vast and quite overwhelming. And I actually like having those spaces. Like, the the, the challenge in Hitman is teaching people kind of how to play Hitman, as well as the controls. It's like the pace and the approach of the game. And I think those levels are very, very well judged to kind of like, you know, even, you know, there's two of them. There's the boat and then there's the hangar and, and the way, just the scale up between them is a really nice stepping stones to the main game. Um, I also think in Hitman, the escalation contracts are kind of great tutorials in themselves in that they force you out of your comfort zone and, and maybe teach you kind of how the variety of ways you can manipulate the world. And, you know, in these games, it's too easy to go, well, I'll always try and do this because it worked that one time. But here, because they're always adding wrinkles or limitations saying, well, now you've got to do it like this instead. Uh, I think that's 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 a really cool way of teaching you it. Yeah, I would say that, like, the um, the boat level in that tutorial is borderline, like, a DLC quality level. Like it's, mm. I played when the beta first came out to, uh, so you could play um, Hitman 2016. I played this boat probably about 20 times because right. I complete, I used it to completely learn how the game works, but also just to like try and do all of the different um, bits and pieces, taking the disguise of the guy who goes on the boat to try and like go alongside them, mm. um, seeing if I could headshot someone without getting spotted, like um, you know being the bartender and like poisoning someone, pushing. Um, pushing the person off of the side and seeing if I could do that without getting caught. Um, like, there's loads of stuff just in that one level. Um, mm. so it really is like the most simple possible hit, but you can do it in a bunch of ways, you know. Mm. And it gives you the taste for like what the whole game is going to hinge on, which is replaying it and trying other objectives and trying other approaches. And just, you know, with that kind of mindset, you then apply it to you know when you're in Paris you're not so overwhelmed you're like well i maybe you know i already know that 
you know, I don't have to use everything in this entire level. You know, this 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 run may just be a couple of rooms or this wing of the the, the fashion museum or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's really elegant. Um, I also wanted a little shout out for um, uh, a slightly different thing, but I quite like the sort of in world training in like Modern Warfare One and Titanfall Two, mm. where you're kind of being trained as a soldier in modern warfare one it's you're in the kind of training camp and that's been in call of duty before but it has like the um the kind of time trial kind of gauntlet that you can kind of run again and again and it you know famously puts in these like achievements in both games where if you can beat the time trial in quite a short time you know you it unlocks an achievement but i think the idea of seeing something that you can just replay really fast and see yourself cutting time off it and get your head around maybe like advanced tricks or that there is stuff beyond your first attempt for you to kind of like aspire to is is quite neat i always like that yeah we talked about this in the um metal gear solid 2 episode but the tanker in that uh, game also does mm. a similar thing where it's like uh, explains how the, the sort of different elevation of enemies works, how the rain effects can um, work on you. Um, uh, basically, like every single mechanic you'll need to play the game properly is is in there, minus a couple of um, things that are specific to the plant later on. But you know that section is functionally a tutorial that's like Ooh. teaching you how the game works. So um, <clears throat> and it, you know it's considered the highlight of the game in a lot of cases. So um, even though if it doesn't feel like a tutorial necessarily while you're playing it, a lot of it is. I mentioned in that episode that like. Um, the Olga fight is obviously just there to teach you how to aim in first person because it's a very simple fight. Otherwise, um, it can show you that like um, light can get put in your eyes, but you can smash the light when it's being put in your eyes and you can remove objects to make Olga appear um, and and take her out. So, um, yeah, that entire section is a tutorial functionally. But, um, mm. yeah, it's a, a very well done one. So I think we had some good answers there, Matthew. Okay, so next question. Hi, both. I'm interested. You both have, uh, if you both have favourite genres or types of television shows, does Matthew have any particular favourite detective or investigator shows? Uh, should we start with you, Matthew? I mean, I watch so much TV. I watch anything if it's good. I mean, I'm re- well, anything drama. I don't watch like reality TV shows or anything like that. But you know, most of the biggies, me and Catherine are kind of on top of um, at any given time. So you know, Sam, you 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 always joke about this when you come over about how we're just total fiends for television and have watched all TV. Um, so yeah, like if it's good, anything don't really care about genre. Um, in terms of detective stuff, um, I do like my Scandinavian crime dramas. Um, I really like the bridge, which was on a few years ago, which is about a Danish and Swedish detectives teaming up to solve grisly murders, which I really liked. Um, every series of that was great. Um, it had old, um, Kim Bodnia, who's, um, Vesemir in The Witcher, season two on netflix as one of the detectives very kind of uh, characterful dude i actually really like there's an itv cop drama called unforgotten about cold cases with uh, is it i think is it nicola murray uh, sanjeev baskar right and sanjeev baskar yeah it's that's really of, of the kind of like low-key brit dramas which are a little bit sort of you know sunday night and safe but um this one like they're just really nice policemen like they're just they're just people who dig up a cold case and then kind of take it on to themselves to try and do some justice for these sort of sad bodies that they find in like decomposed in suitcases and things <laughs> and they're just really compassionate they aren't like cops on the edge they're not like mavericks they're just it's kind of like um 
sort of uh, what do they call it? Is it like proficiency porn? You know, where <laughs> people are just really good at their jobs yeah. and just get on with it quietly. And then, you know, often with a big emotional payout at the end. I really, really like Unforgotten. I think it's great. I think it's on Netflix as well for international viewers. Uh, I actually, uh, a, bit, a bit of an odd pick, but just to spice it up a bit, I really liked the HBO. I think it was HBO reboot of Perry Mason a few oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, with uh, him from the Americans. Matthew um, Yes. I really like that. Apparently season two is coming, but it's like depression era LA. So like, I'd say even like pre-LA confidential, LA noir style, it's it's just people kind of slumming it, but in um, incredible production values, really, really cool cast. And Matthew Reese is like sort of... Uh, sort of private detector private detective on his way to becoming an attorney which is the kind of maybe the perry mason you know from like later shows yeah so um i uh i like the first season of that do you know that the second season doesn't have any of the same writers they've got a completely different yeah. writing team like why have they done that like uh that bummed me out when i saw that i was like well what's the point because <laughs> um, originally it was going to be that the first season was going to be the true detective guy oh yeah pizzolato yeah and then um, yeah and it was, yeah downy was going to start producing it as well yeah downy was going to star originally um, oh right yeah that would have been a very different uh sort that of would have been, yeah that i don't think that would have been as good well he made um, uh, do little instead so um good good for him um <laughs> yikes um but yeah it's uh I, I yeah i like the first season um i thought it was good i um I must admit, though, when a show is a when a show has taken more than two years to come back, and I know there's been a pandemic, like don't bother. I feel like it's just too long. Like <laughs> by the time this comes, it's been two years since season one of this aired. I think they're only just starting to film season two now. Like that's three years. Just don't bother. Just cancel it. Make something else. Yeah. So I, honestly, it's just too long. I can't be bothered. But it also speaks to like we'll, we'll release it when we're ready. You know, let's let's get it right. Let's make it. It's not just like the churn it's not just the production line you know no, that's true and that is good about like hbo and some of the streamers for sure but um i don't it know it's a long time that's i had a to long look it up time. to see if, if it actually existed still i was <laughs> like did i imagine that or yeah it's like barry is like 2019 the last season of that aired and like that's just now oh, yeah. airing season three um yeah especially I'm... if you've got an old person in it like henry Winkler, you've got to be like you know, I don't want to be bleak, but you know, time's ticking. Did you call him Henry Wrinkler? <laughs> did I? If I did, that was that was a subliminal thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, that's the thing is that that show simply doesn't work like with anyone else either. It's not like that he can die and replace him with John Lithgow. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's he's like that is one of the most well drawn characters I've ever seen in a TV show. His character in that Cousineau. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I've kind of hinted at my interest there a bit, Matthew, but. Um, I think I'm less of a genre feed and more of a uh, like I follow certain creators um, or certain like I, I I must admit if there's a HBO drama I will always give it a go because it seems mm. like they've kept their quality bar incredibly high. Whereas I would ask argue did that you watch the Nevers. I didn't know, but like, did anyone watch the Nevers? <laughs> I was just seeing how how steadfast your rule was. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I didn't bother with that because you know they booted Joss Whedon from it halfway through because of you know you know perfectly yeah exactly <laughs> but then like at that point i was kind of like well i wasn't that invested in the premise anyway um some witchy stuff in london in the old in the olden days but like oh, isn't I, that like half the shows these days <laughs> but I was there, thinking... that, there was that one with eva green where she was like hanging out with like bram stoker or something <laughs> I, don't, I didn't watch it <laughs> are you thinking of um uh what's it called um uh penny, penny dreadful 
Yeah, and there's yeah. that one with uh, Orlando Bloom where he's like a fairy detective or something. I don't know. Carnival Row, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's more of these than there should be, arguably. But like, um, yeah, I thought when it wasn't even Joss Whedon's show anymore and they were like disowning him from the marketing, I was like, well, did he create this or not? I have no idea. And like, mm. they were like, oh, we've got a new showrunner now who had nothing to do with the previous set of like writers. And I was just like, well, why, why does this exist anymore? Just fucking burn the whole thing down. There's no point. But anyway, yeah, so I follow creators or, um, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, there's some good stuff on Disney Plus now, like, they're kind of like um, that, uh, what was that show with Michael Keaton, Dro- Dope Sick, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah, bleak Depressing, stuff. but good. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, like, what you were saying about, you know, keep the quality bar high, I agree with, but there's some shows like Yellow Jackets, for example, which, you know, I absolutely loved. Um, had a kind of like losty sort of mystery vibe but you know a better more refined modern version of it has loads of young actresses in it and if they take three years to film a new season of that all those actresses will look three years older like uh, <laughs> that's like kind of a problem but whereas in the fiction of the show they're only out there for like a certain number of months so they yeah. can only you can only take so long to do that you know what i mean so um yeah they but, got a bit of that in ozark with the boy he's meant to be like 14 but he he does not look 14 anymore <laughs> he's like hello i'm a 14 year old <laughs> and you're like uh-huh <laughs> it's like how um like the last season of like stranger things they all looked about 12 and now like the one of those boys looks about 45 and i'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> don't know what happened in the middle there but yeah, with us a pandemic you know I, I feel it i look about eight years older after the pandemic but still so yeah yeah i uh I don't know. I, I'm a bit. I'm a lot pickier than Matthew as well. I won't just watch anything. I will watch like probably. I watched 15 shows a year probably, but I'll be really selective about what those are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Matthew watches a lot more British stuff than me. It's fair to say. So uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty comprehensive answer, Matthew. Um, mm. Mailbag Q. When a new game comes out, I have a fear of missing out on the zeitgeist around the game's release. The fun that comes with taking part in the conversation around the game can often be as enjoyable as, or sometimes more entertaining than the game itself. As I get older and busier, it does get increasingly difficult to actually complete the games I keep buying out of this FOMO. Do you guys feel yourself in a similar boat, uh, find yourself in a similar boat, or are there times where you've been able to avoid the pressure and just enjoy games on their own merits? What's your advice for a gaming zeitgeist addict? That's from Alex Hater, who I believe works at uh, Torn Banner Studios and seems like a very nice guy on Twitter. So, uh, Matthew, what's uh, your take on um, FOMO and trying to keep up with what everyone else is playing? So I'm kind of lucky in that most of the stuff I'm really interested in, I get to like review or I pursue a review of it or playing it early, which is a bit of a smug boy answer. But um, so I feel like when the game's actually out, I don't have to engage with the patter if I don't want to. Um, I, I must admit, I'm I've got very few gaming experiences that have been improved by the jokes of other people. Um, uh, because I'm a grumpy old sod at the heart of it. Um, like often, it's it's either a new game, which you know, if it's a game that I haven't played before release, it's a case of like, well, here's just a load of people spoiling it because I don't have as much time to play them. So it's kind of fantastic. Here's like all the jo- you know, everyone's joking about the end of Elden Ring now, and I've I've not even scratched the surface of it. And you're like, fine. Um, and if it's a huge game. That unfortunately means, you know, there's going to be a lot of bad patter in the mix. Um, <laughs> what I like is maybe like when something I'm really into that's maybe a bit more niche, and you know, the, spe- the specific people I follow on Twitter have like 
you know, funny Ace Attorney takes or something. But I wouldn't say that's chasing the zeitgeist. Yeah, I'm sort of with you on this. Like, I don't get... I get sort of like the occasional sort of like... um, uh, The first wave of Elden Ring sort of memes I was quite into. But I wanted to switch it off after about two days. Um, And then, like, uh, it kept going and going and going. And now it's, it's still going, of course. And, like, if that's how people enjoy games, that's fine. But the reason I liked our Elden Ring podcast is I didn't feel like we were trying to appease the kinds of people who hang out on FromSoft subreddits or have like right. big big monster takes on this stuff because I don't care <laughs> what those people think. Um, <laughs> I only monster really care. takes would be a good name for a podcast <laughs> or uh, an Elden Ring boss. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I I think that like I I only really care what the people who listen to this podcast uh, think. So that's why I thought we could do it the way we did it, which was you know. We don't really know this genre that well, but we can just dive in. Um, otherwise, I quite enjoy playing games outside of the um, discourse times. Um, I do get FOMO with games when I see something get loads of like high scores. I'm like, well, maybe I need a copy of Triangle Strategy, even though I've got like 18 different JRPGs to play. <laughs> like yeah. that, I get. That's more familiar. But um, do you have? Are there like? Any, I, you don't have to name them, but would you say there are like particular people? Like if they are there, like this thing, you're like, oh shit, I better get on that thing yeah so i did buy so i trust joe's takes for example um mm. joe dm'd me after we did that horror games episode and said you gotta play inscription um and i was like okay well i'll go play that right away then and i did and i didn't regret <laughs> it so yeah like um there's a few there's a, a few people like that jeremy peel if he's like big into something i'm like well i've got to check that out i've got weird west downloaded at the moment and that's you know partly down to jeremy peel mm. i would say so yeah there's um there's like there are groups of people for sure who i do listen to but yeah, like uh, it's that's that I enjoyed playing The Last of Us Two outside of the discourse times. Yeah. That was good. Um, I got to play that in a complete vacuum. I had no idea what people made of it, and weirdly, I could come back to it at a time where some of the illusions made in the game to real world situations seemed to kind of bubble up again. And like, um, I'm a big yeah. fan of when people are playing something older but having their online takes now, and it's almost like what happens if Twitter had existed when. Deus Ex came out or the original Max Payne came out and you know I'll see a you know a funny tweet from you about Deus Ex or Andy Kelly will post a funny picture from something he's replaying from 10 years ago or whatever I I quite like hearing the discourse way after the fact (laughs) or like games that missed out on the discourse because they were like pre-social media yeah that's that you know playing Deus Ex one of my favorite things I did last year and so yeah, the, the sort of little take factory I built on Twitter was um, oh, a, yeah. a roaring success. So I'm big, big into that. I had a little bit of that with uh, when I was playing um, Baldur's Gate on the Switch. Like just being able to screenshot some funny stuff from Baldur's Gate and put it out there. I mean, listen, it didn't do good business. And I know <laughs> I, I apologise to anyone who listens to this podcast. You get sick of us talking about uh, Twitter failure <laughs> and success. Um, mostly you. Mostly me. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it's I, I always appreciate like. You can always tell when someone's taken a screenshot on the Switch because it's got that particular font when you write over the top of it and you annotate it with stuff. Yeah, and I'm always I'm always extremely here for that. Yeah, I, I get FOMO in other ways too, like um, people talking about how the, the latest Destiny expansion has the best campaign of any of them, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's what they say every fucking time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I've not seen if this is uh, true with this one. It certainly wasn't true with um, the last one, whatever that was called, the icy one. I can't remember what it's called. It's, it's who's who's worse, the early Destiny reviewers or the early Marvel reviewers? <laughs> oh, no, wait the, until you see it. They've really knocked it out of the park. It is breathtaking what they do in Doctor Strange and the Mansion of Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> 
and you're uh, like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's definitely the Marvel reviewers because if you type in the most <laughs> mediocre fucking Marvel reviews and like first reactions um, and <laughs> yeah. find, it, find a news story from 2013 about Thor the Dark World, like <laughs> Thor the Dark World, man, blew my top off. Another like high watermark for the MCU and it's like, same with Ant-Man and the Wasp. People are like, Ant-Man and the Wasp, man, it's going to blow, oh Jesus. Yeah, what a, the uh, work uh, Michelle Pfeiffer does in this film, I was in tears, guys. You were going to be in tears when you see Michelle Pfeiffer dress up as a wasp. <laughs> a killer comeback for Scott Lang or whatever. And it's like, what the fuck is this? So that is like a haven of bad takes, that is. Um, whereas the Destiny players, I don't know, like Phil was saying it was like a great campaign. I trust Phil to know what oh, well, shoot Phil, a campaign. Phil knows what he's talking about. Well, that's what I mean. So, you know, uh, yeah, that uh, Marvel fans, I don't trust them, but... <laughs> But that's fine. Sometimes there's stuff happening where I'm like, I feel like I should get FOMO from it, but I can't be bothered. So there's like a Godzilla versus Kong thing going on in Call of Duty Warzone at the moment. But because <laughs> that game is so... I want to see what two monsters fighting in a in a first-person shooter game looks like. That sounds interesting, but not enough to download the 100 gigabyte file onto my PS5 and actually do it. Do you know what I mean? So... I will watch a five-second gif of it, and that will be my experience. Because I'm kind of like you; I'm kind of the opposite, Matthew. So, um, good stuff. Uh, is this your one to read out? Yes. Yeah. Hi, guys. A long-time listener, first-time caller. I was going to come up with a solid question that would generate an interesting conversation on the pod. But what's more important is this: Are you aware that it looks like you are about to kiss on your logo? Is <laughs> this a mistake, or is there something you're not telling us? That's from Pizza Hotline. <laughs> well, you know, blowing our uh, surprise for episode 100 there, frankly, um, where we kissed live on air. Um, <laughs> so, was Catherine the first one to point this out, Matthew? I think she was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after she said that, this was I... before it was live. I should add. Yeah, yeah. So John Strike designed our logo. I think he did a great job. Um, when you see it on like iTunes and stuff, it, it's really distinctive. It really jumps out at you. So it does its job for sure. But yes, it does look like the two people are going to kiss. Uh, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> hint at any kind of wider sort of like meaning. It's not a mistake. I did briefly. <laughs> panic about it when we got the design back and Catherine said that but then um didn't want to spend money getting it redesigned so went ahead with it thoughts matthew oh <laughs> uh, yeah basically that like uh you know it may have homoerotic undertones but it's right. it, it's just two people talking into a mic yeah it's 2022 man if, if you want to read homoerotic undertones <laughs> into the podcast you are welcome to you know we're, yeah. we are yeah. completely comfortable with that so uh all good yes um okay good i think that was that's covered that one off uh, listening to the Elden Ring pod right now, and at the dream guest question, had you considered trying to get Gav Creeper or Powers on to speak about the From Software game? So that would be uh, the perfect level of chaotic, in my opinion. That's Owen Christie. Uh, I don't really know any of them, Matthew. <laughs> I know Gav supports the podcast on Patreon. It's been very nice about it. Give you some behind the scenes advice, which I'm very grateful for. Mm. Um, yeah, um, if we know what's good for us, we'll try and have them on, I suppose, because they're enormously <laughs> successful on Patreon. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Well, I just mean from a business point of view, it makes sense to have them on. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's made it sound like such a chore. Um, (laughs) No, I don't mean that. No, no. Like, I know know Gav very well. I used to work with him on O&M. I don't know... I I feel bad even calling them by their surnames because I don't feel like I know... Daniel and Rory well enough to like be so casual as to refer to well, them as Creeper and Powers. Well, are um, they are they called that though? Like that's the the sort yeah, of the broken but down. I I st- but even when someone is known as a nickname, 
Yeah. I still feel like you have to have a personal invite to use that nickname. Yeah, you have to earn it, really. Like, so, like yeah. if not Randover was called me Castle, I'd be like, <laughs> steady on. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, unless I it's Mister Castle, in which case I'm like, yes. Yeah, I felt a bit weird right saying that out loud, actually. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, I, but uh, I mean, you know. They're, they're, they're lovely chaps. Uh, you know, as, as a rule, we have people on that we kind of know reasonably well in, in real life, too. Um, I definitely know Gav well. Potentially, I, I would imagine Gav's a very busy man and probably a, a too successful a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> to, to spare us his time. But, uh, yeah, the funny thing with Gav is when I was on O&M, we were very sort of combative, both in office and on social media, to the point where I wonder if some people think we're generally hostile towards each other, um, you know, to set the record straight and to break... What's that thing in wrestling where they... Uh, they all have the fictional kind of veneer of wrestling. This is terrible. K something. K fabe. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to break that, um, we do get on in real life. And whenever it gets too spicy on Twitter, there's always a DM thread happening <laughs> off-site <laughs> where we're like, "Oh, you're right." <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> sometimes it's the only way uh, men can communicate with their emotions. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, when we were on O&M, he used to, and I know it was him, he'll say it wasn't him, but I know it was him, uh, he used to write mean notes and then scan them on the photocopier, and the photocopier had a function where you could email them to people from the photocopier. So I'd get these like anonymous hate messages from the photocopier, <laughs> and but they were written as the photocopier. So it was kind of like, this is the photocopier, and I hate your guts, and like everyone here despises you. <laughs> Um, and I was absolutely sure it was him. And then he went on holiday and they continued. And uh, I then accused so many different people in the office of being Gav's accomplice. <laughs> to this day, I'm only 95% sure it was Gav. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's like sustained psychological torment. In a kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where sometimes on these other podcasts, I think the level of bants is a bit too hot for me and my very thin skin to sort of survive there. <laughs> Um, I definitely feel that way with a computer game show where I'm not sure I could like I'm not sure I could withstand the David Turner's like barbs like I think I I think I I think I might crumble listening to that because I'm just such a thin-skinned pathetic man um, but you know I own that frankly so I'm fine with it but um, I wonder if that'd be the case with uh, with sort of like Gav where I'd sort of like I'd walk out 20 minutes in then come back 10 minutes from the end sort of situation sort no, of um, I th- yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Gav's good at reading the room. He knows he knows who he can kind of play with and who he can't. Yeah, for, from both like a business and entertainment point of view, yes, um, we should get one of them on at some point. But um, <laughs> yeah. when is a bigger question? Because like Matthew says, they're extremely successful. So, um, but yes, very grateful for the advice Gav gave you on the um, Patreon, Matthew. That was really yeah, good. it's great. Cool. Um, so next question. Um, I've got a question. What's the biggest twist in the plot of a game? That's from Ryan Cobain. Uh, Bioshock. That's my answer. You, Matthew. I thought Metal Gear Solid 2 was pretty good. Yep. Yep, very good. Um, also, the, the I think the final case of Ace Attorney Spirit of Justice is, like, the only Ace Attorney game that properly got me in terms of, like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. So, yeah. Yeah, those are, yeah. Those are good. Well, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult one, isn't it? You can't spoil them, but just trust <laughs> me, they're good. Yeah. Um, that's it. If you can play through, you know, Spirit of Justice, that's like, what, 20 plus hours of... Uh, a 3DS game um, that will soon be gone from a store, then um, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the the 
Zero Escape series. They're packed full of twists and really good ones. There's an absolute doozy in the third game, which people are generally down on that game. I don't know why, because I think it's rad, but that's got a really great perspective-based twist that I won't spoil. Mm, Okay, very nice. So, yeah. Hello from up north in the wilds of Yorkshire. Sorry if this has already been asked, but I've got a potentially boring question, which is uh, basically, how is the pasta made? Pasta made? Sausage made? Pasta made? Anyway, it's another behind-the-scenes question. I always love getting a glimpse behind the scenes of how my favourite content gets made, the software and hardware, i.e. the software and hardware you use for the pod. Each episode sounds great and is very premium offering that we get for free each week. Oh, no. This is such a good sales pitch. Um, thanks for the hours of fun and laughs. If I ever find myself in Bath, I already have a list of eateries to investigate or avoid, which I guess is pretty handy, he said unconvincingly. That's from Jimmy S. Bowers, or Jimmy's Bowers. Hmm. Uh, uh, was that on Discord? I don't know. But yes, yeah, was, uh, how yeah. do we make the podcast, Samuel? Yeah, Jimmy Bowers, he works for Endreams. He's a community manager, very nice, um, nice chap. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, we make the podcast. We, me and Matthew both have the same microphone, which is a Blue Yeti. They are like the, the podcast microphone. People do seem surprised by how good the audio quality is, Matthew. People think we're in the same room together recording. We never are, which is kind of like um, surprising to some people. We are always mm-hmm. at home. And then we use the free program Audacity um, to record the uh, the audio. Matthew smushes them together. And then um, I've, there's a hosting service. We we used to use something called Buzzsprout, um, which is where we could create those fun little um, samples we put on Twitter of the um of the podcast try and sell it which were which were good uh we've had to move over to Acast because that's the only way we could do the patreon exclusive um rss feed thing so they got us over a barrel with that unfortunately um <laughs> um so yeah that's basically it really we just use um a blue yeti mic and i don't in terms of like the actual like making of the the episodes like we always have an episode plan i used to do a lot of those but now matthew does a bunch of those too um you still do the meat of it <laughs> Well, yeah, but I think that's just because um, I don't know. I don't, you're, you're a very busy man, you know. You've got a, a lot going on. I don't. Ha- I don't do freelance or anything like that, so um, I don't mind doing. I think I now, now, now that we've got some Patreon money coming in, splitting it between us, there's more impetus to kind of like make sure the work is fairly shared. I think. Yeah, but Matthew has to. Um, Matthew's the money man. I've assigned him the banker role, so all the Patreon <laughs> cash gets sent to his account, and that's very. I think that's very stressful. So I'm pleased he gets to do no, that. So, Honestly, uh, if you've watched Ozark, that's truly stressful money business. <laughs> Um, Ozark has taught me a lot about so many things. Casinos. Uh, I'm not laundering money, I should add. Uh, nothing like that. It's all above board. But anyway, let's just, yes. Yeah, they call it pod, pod washing. That's what he's doing with the cash uh, on Patreon. <laughs> uh, yeah, any, anything to add to that, Matthew? It tells no, them making fact, it. I'm, I'm glad that you like how it sounds. Um, I think, we, you know, we do take pride in trying to make it sound as good as possible. And. Uh, you know, we edit them quite closely as well to try and make them as smooth as possible, cut out any boring bits. So I'm glad that seems to be working. And we're always bummed out when uh, a guest has a shit microphone. That's always a bit of a bummer <laughs> oh, yeah. for us. <laughs> and they don't get invited back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun times. Are we joking or not? People will never know. So next up, um, Matthew's telling of his experience in, of Elden Ring versus other from software games makes me wonder if there are any other games which have pulled you into a genre you previously couldn't get on with. That's from Uber Tarquin. What's your answer to this one, Matthew? Uh, the only thing I could think of that really jumped out was uh, like Forza Horizon, which like I, I'm not a, a racing game guy at all, and it's very arcadey, 
admittedly, and, you know, I have dabbled with arcade races in the past, but, uh, you know, I've played those games a lot, and, you know, I would, if you'd asked, you know, 16-year-old me, will a racing game ever be one of your top-played games, I would have probably scoffed in your face, um, but I think it's balance of, like, fun and glorious visuals and kind of take it at your own pace it's just it's a really great example of how to introduce people to a genre i think it's just a really accommodating game and the craft of how accommodating it is is what really marks playground out if playground can apply that thinking to fable that could be a really interesting open world game i am pumped yeah if there's one thing i've thought about a lot working in like the publishing side of games it's the idea of like what is the onboarding experience of playing a game for the first time like um you know what do you kind of learn what do you need to tell people that sort of stuff i I think about that quite a lot and so when you see that done uh, the way it is done in forza where it's like so good at explaining how systems work so slick so easy to use so inviting um that really is like an art form in itself it's really hard Mm. to do that well so yeah, I agree with you. It's a good um, good gateway drug to the rest of the genre. Maybe you'll play that and um, go and play some hardcore Forza afterwards. Who knows? But, uh, or some yeah. very boring Gran Turismo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. The Elden Ring thing didn't happen to me, but it happened to me with Sekiro. That did for From Software Games, mm. of course. I've talked about that enough on this podcast, Sekiro. Um, Rocket League is one. I don't really like sports or driving games, but um, I played that for hundreds of hours. I talked before in the 2009 episode about Fight Night Round 4. Uh, I was I never ever played a boxing game. I didn't really play fighting games, but that that was like my most played game that year probably. Um, and I still go back to it every now and then. So yeah, that's um, really surprising because I don't care about boxing whatsoever in real life. So yep, um, <laughs> we did the big uh, conversation about uh, Muhammad Ali being OP, which is pretty funny on that episode if I recall. Um, <laughs> I wasn't a massive racing guy, but the Motor Storm series that really um, opened that up to me at the time. Um, mm. uh, there was what I loved about that series is it was it looked phenomenal. Of course, it was like a PS3 system seller, um, but it was about as complex as Mario Kart to play. Pretty simple games. Um, Pacific Rift in particular, the second one was um, fantastic. Had a massive variety of different um, tracks and stuff to unlock. Motorstorm, aka good excite trucks. <laughs> There you go. There's a burning hot take that will definitely lose us some patrons. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I'm sorry. I can picture a couple of people spitting in my face when I say that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you'll get at least like four Discord messages about that, Matthew. Um, Yeah. uh, And then the last one I picked out here was um, DayZ with survival games, actually. I'm not a big survival games guy, but definitely played a whole bunch of DayZ in like 2014 when that game was like mega, mega hot on um, early access. So, um, yeah, never into that, but like that sold me on the appeal of it, which was the very spooky feeling of walking around a very realistic feeling environment. Then, but then seeing one person in the distance and not knowing if you know you were going to both draw a gun, start shooting, if they're going to wildly swing at you with an axe, whether you just kind of like um, be ships in the night, pass and go on your way. Um, that was the thrill of uh, Daisy. Every encounter was a complete mystery as to how it would go. So yeah, a real kind of Ooh. magic to that, I think. So um, yeah, there's some good examples there, I think, Matthew. But um, yeah so is this your one this one yeah if you could live inside any game world what would it be and which game would you not like to be trapped in gosh yeah i think we might have answered this one before um on a previous episode but i thought i'd write a different answer to last time and put sea of thieves i think i quite like living in sea of thieves 
like they're always adding new stuff to it so it get less and less boring as time goes on that'd be good um <laughs> you've got story mode stuff you can go and do go un- uncover some lore of the islands you can just go get into some fights you can just hang out on the islands this is, and the- this is life though this isn't like just to live in that world you don't have to engage with its like missions, do you? Well, no. I mean, I, I guess not. But I suppose what I'm saying is those little islands that have like like oh, a little right. a tavern on them and stuff. They seem quite just seem quite nice. Do you know what I mean? I mean, mm. there's no sunscreen in that world, so I'd worry about getting skin cancer. Admittedly, um, not sure there's anything <laughs> I can do to mitigate that. That's a tough break. That um, that's, that's for their next patch. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the a much requested player feature um, to rub sun cream into yourself. Um, and also i want to be able to rub sun cream into my crew (laughs) yeah i'm like show me your back (laughs) oh can i swap my cutlass for a large umbrella please um yeah uh yeah so um yeah i think see if these would be quite nice like yeah yeah, it looks looks pretty as well we try and sail off the edge of the map you get that really fucked up red sky and then things get really like gnarly that'd be quite cool to experience in irl there is a bit high risk of death death in Sea of Thieves, though. You come back, though. I mean, are we talking about real-world rules here? Well, or? I would say it's like real-world rules. So, like, if if just some teenagers decide they're going to shoot you with a cannon, that's it. Well, you just, you just fucking ruined it then, haven't you? That was a great pitch, that one. And then you're like, well, actually, you're just going to die. Well, that, if, is the, uh... that is the... I think that's the... Well, he, he didn't state, admittedly, F943 no, it... in this question. Um, it's a so... fair point. I've got to go back to the drawing board on this one. Um, <laughs> what's your answer to this one? Um, I would either like to live forever in the private hospital in Hokkaido in Hitman 1. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Because it, it's just so luxurious and, like, amazing mountain views. Again, if I don't get assassinated. So, like, with CVs, there's a caveat. <laughs> like, I want to be there, but I don't want to be a target. I don't think I would be a target. Like, I've not been enough of a wrongman in life <laughs> for anyone to want to assassinate me. Is that the one where you get you can get pushed off a waterfall? Is that Hokkaido? Yeah, when you're doing the yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, um, you, luckily you would never do yoga, so you'd be safe on that front. Yeah. I mean, the only <laughs> downside to it is it's like a health spa where someone is murdered occasionally and also stuff's always sort of fucking up because agent 47's like turning the power off or like messing with the lights to try and do so So you would have to sort of live sort of in the kind of aftershocks of what agent 47 is up to yeah you might find like a boiled man in the sauna one day and that's like not suboptimal yeah suboptimal i would say and that would be traumatic if you did find a boiled man in a sauna, the one place you'd want to be to recover is a really luxurious clinic. <laughs> You're in the right place to have, like, a major meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I would, like... Um, if I could revise my answer to a Hitman answer, Sapienza's <laughs> probably a good one. Cause, oh, yeah. Um, there are loads of places to go there where you'd be relatively safe. The beach seems pretty safe there. Like, you're never really killing mm-hmm. people on the beach in that game. Um there's also the gelato shop. I don't think anyone's going in there and headshotting anyone. So I try and like stay to those locations if possible. Okay. Try and avoid some of the more like quiet sort of um, urban areas. And uh, I wouldn't go anywhere near that mansion, of course. Um, I wouldn't go in that underground bit either. That's oh, like no, horrible. No, you'll wait. Just wait to be killed there. Um, I, yeah. I wouldn't want to live in the apartment above or below that woman who <laughs> F is on a loop saying Marco, Marco, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Nor would I want to work in that lab um below the <laughs> mansion because there's constantly a fucking alarm going off um which is <laughs> because agent 47 doesn't know what he's doing with that fucking those fucking buttons. there are there are some stressful places in sapienza but as you know putting all that aside it seems quite chill 
yeah, for sure. So yeah, some um, some good answers there. Um, cool. I think you and I are uh, we're all clearly both looking forward to that Patreon Hitman episode, Matthew. We're always dying to talk about Hitman. So um, <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Um, oh, what about the ones you wouldn't want to be trapped inside, Matthew? Um, riffing on last week's episode, the world of Max Payne Three <laughs> seems very traumatic, just because of a body count and b just the cynicism of the world. I Why think. would you even be there? <laughs> Why are you in Sao Paulo? Well, I don't. Well, that's it. That's what I wouldn't want to be. You know, it's that I do not fit that world, and especially this version of it. Um, well, that's why I said it's a place I don't want to live. You're, you're at one of those pool parties with that family he's looking after. It's like, why am I even here? And then, like, yeah, yeah. I just, I just wouldn't want to hear what Max Payne's inner monologue would say about me because <laughs> you know it would be like freaking harsh. I think it'd be like maybe it'd be like that IT guy who just gets shot. I mean, that kind of vibe where he's like, you know, he's oh, just, just like, like, this guy's just a body waiting to happen. <laughs> you're like, great. <laughs> Cheers, man. I can hear you, Max. Um, as long as he doesn't talk about, like, my haircut or weight. <laughs> that would be quite hurtful. Yeah, I suppose it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, like, a uh, bit of um, extra Max Payne trivia for you, Matthew. Um, and I only thought of this because I just pictured this just now. But um, something that they originally were going to have in the game was the idea of taking a human body shield. Like, um, and um, I thought that would be quite funny, the idea of Max using you to absorb some bullets oh, and mean, throwing you to one side. But yeah. Strategically, I'm a, I'm a big body. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, know. I, I would... I would eat up a few bullets before like you had to toss me away i think he'd be wise that would be like there'd be a lot of seo guides saying grab that white pasty dude <laughs> so for my worlds i wouldn't want to live in <laughs> max Payne's a really funny one like i pick the real city sao paulo that's so good um i pick kingdom hearts here um oh. if i lived in any of the disney worlds in this game i'd go completely mad because they are all like three three rooms big like <laughs> it's like they brought Alice in Wonderland down to like three like a one bedroom flat size locations, and if I was trapped in any one of those, I would lose my shit. Um, particularly if I was stuck there with fucking Donald and Goofy, that would be like a, a tough hang. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Alice in Wonderland world in particular, actually, because it's like when you watch that film, it's a really like amazing looking and like um, trippy film, and the Kingdom Hearts version is really nothing like it. It's just that fucking kitchen over and over again but the stuff's bigger than the stuff smaller like yeah, yeah i would like i couldn't could not deal my friend i like so, the uh, idea yeah. of sora turning up to do that level and there's all the disney characters and he enters the room and there's just you wigging out <laughs> and he's like why the fuck's this guy and he's just like, losing my shit this place is like a small flat <laughs> how the fuck do i get out of here and it's like oh we're going to another three room location based on the tarzan films do you want to come uh yeah and all these kids are like this guy's not from final fantasy or disney <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I don't remember this like a uh, slightly overweight white guy in final fantasy 10 um that's uh yeah maybe it's one of the blitzball players um yeah okay very good so yeah <laughs> kingdom hearts is weirdly the one i came up with because i do like those games but when you think about it none of those locations make any sense there's like logical version logical worlds in themselves so um mm. yeah Hello, when I look at the difference in graphical fidelity and gameplay between Wolfenstein 1992 and Unreal 1998, there's an enormous gulf. Yet I'd argue since Half-Life 2 and Call of Duty 4, um, the technology technological gap has slowed considerably. Obviously graphics have improved a little, but the fundamental gameplay stays the same. In some instances, in some instances I'd say the gameplay has even regressed. 
Do you think we will ever see another big jump in technology like we did in the earlier 3D boom days of gaming? That's from Nathan Brady Easton. What's mm. your thoughts on this, Matthew? I feel like there are still technological leaps happening. I mean, they're maybe not as sexy like when I was playing Horizon 2. The fact that you can fast travel you know, across that world in basically a second and it's instantly there feels like a minor miracle. I'm sure you're kind of like, well, this is what, what it should always have been, but there is kind of still a wow factor that. I'd also say like the rise of 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 like actually good VR, um, particularly like VR motion controls, feels to me like you know a wow moment or a a a new gulf that has been passed. Um, I don't know if I particularly agree that like you know games gameplay has regressed and all the focus is on graphics. Like I still see enough stuff that like wows me. That's the thing. So something's happening. <laughs> yeah. I saw an image of, I don't know if you saw this, this Hellblade 2 screenshot of an environment they put up the other day on Twitter. It's this massive, like, it was like a uh, panoramic kind of shot of like a beach in the game or something. And it looked fucking unbelievable. Um, Mm. And a bunch of artists went and made that. And, you know, gameplay wise, it's likely to feel like some things I've played before. But I was completely wowed by this environment and thought, I can't wait to see what the rest of the game looks like based on this. So I feel like I'm always having these wow moments still, you know? Um, Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, if anything, I don't mind that the graphical fidelity thing is slowed down. I don't need that to keep going and going. Um, I would rather that games' uh, development was sustainable in terms of costs than, like, there's a constant need to bankrupt yourselves spending 250 million making a game just to like blow your socks off i quite like that this generation of consoles seems like the last generation plus in a lot of ways and there's still stuff that wows me all the time like that and matrix awakens demo on ps5 for example like Mm. when you see that in action you think i've not seen a game that looks this good before um uh, like um, in the open world city bit uh, it's more familiar but in the actual like set piece bits that looks phenomenal go on Matthew yeah and I think there have been there have been genre changes which have have like altered the industry you know the rise of the battle royale for example you know has set so many people on a different path than they were previously on you know that's that's a huge transition that's a huge jump it may not be the gameplay jump or the gameplay transition you're looking for, which I think is often the case. You know, it's it's maybe hard to go like, well, what's radically changed in the first-person shooter? But I think there, ha- there has been radical change in areas. It's just maybe not the areas that speak to you. Maybe yeah. it's what's happening. Yeah, possibly. You know, like, um, you know, Apex Legends is the same developers as Call of Duty 4, but they, they're quite different from each other, really. Um, mm. But I suppose in my head, I see the continuity of, like, um, experts at a particular genre applying that expertise to a you know to something they know incredibly well and i see the through line because it's like um the people who made the classiest shooter then are making the classiest shooter now in my opinion so mm. you know that's um that carries on but yeah the form may look quite different so uh yeah but yeah i don't think i'll ever stop being wowed by games i think like you say the innovation might come more from hardware and stuff like that like um putting an oculus quest 2 on was quite a a, it was quite an amazing experience it was like um you know it's all in one i'd only ever experienced vr with wires plugged in and like um when you plug in some headphones and stuff it really feels like you're immersed in that um Mm. because so so crisp and it's only 300 quid so yeah it's the hand controllers in vr that get me Mm. like the control over like 3d space i mean that there it really feels like you're 
interacting with the world kind of in such a tactile way, you know, where they can see whether your fingers are gripping stuff or whatever. Like that's insane. That's that that's that's truly like a next gen thing. Oh yeah, that's why I was banging on about that VR table tennis game I played because it's like actual. <laughs> it's like actual table tennis because you can see the paddle in your hand and think of how far that's come from the Wii's like um, slightly um, less responsive, um, you know, uh, motion control. So. Yep, I agree. Hi, on a previous games you've been playing episode, you mentioned playing The Last Stop. Uh, following your conversation, I gave it a try and finished it last week. I have mixed thoughts on it as I love the setting, but the decision making was more restrictive than I initially thought it would be. I wondered if either of you had finished the game now and had some more thoughts. Thanks, love the pod, Pinch. I didn't play any more of it, unfortunately, Matthew, did you? Yeah, I did push on with it. Um, like, the short version is uh, I much preferred the earlier parts of the stories before they got too paranormally the game sort of has a uh, an act that kind of brings everyone together that i wasn't like massively into and then it kind of then hurries back into the three stories again for a a, a kind of a big decision in each of the characters lives um I, I think i'll stick with what i said in the original episode like i really loved how it depicted like family life and london and uh, just the sort of a, a kind of uh a sort of realism of of the way you know within a budget and a and a particular art style, I think it kind of captured a lot of kind of truth about living in in a city like London, which I really liked. But um, maybe as the story went on, I kind of was less engaged, and um, you know I can't really speak to the you know the choices and consequences. I played it once. I felt like it you know it kind of didn't feel like wildly unfair, but I don't know if 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 there's much kind of um, elasticity um, to the story. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, enough said. Um, chaps, the pod has made me suitably cynical, and it has only hit me that those last few pages box out mini-reviews found in our dearest, mostly departed magazines that I took as gospel may not be the result of dozens of hours of gameplay. Any unwritten rules on what constitutes a suitable amount of time to put into one of these? And does this <laughs> depend on the writer's role, staff writer, freelancer, etc.? Cheers. That's from... Um, a pocket wats i can't work out how to pronounce that um but that's not my problem so um matthew <laughs> i don't know if these types of reviews exist anymore i don't think they do actually um but i imagine that in the 90s when these things were more popular these review roundups they were yeah. probably paying a lot better so you could justify putting more time into them what's your take on this yeah on end gamer uh a lot of the reviews roundups were definitely once charlotte uh, martin joined the magazine like that was sort of her her domain like she reviewed that you know she reviewed all all the games on that page maybe we'd get a freelancer in to do it i mean the truth is they're 100 words long and you'd probably play them until you had 100 worth words of observations if when playing it 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 was amazing and there was something more interesting to be said it would probably be elevated to a bigger review and then be given more time and money to be reviewed properly um no, we were not playing review roundup games on Endgamer to completion, but a lot of them are like match three puzzlers, things like that. Things you could kind of get your head around pretty quickly. Like it was more about matching the right games to the right section. You know, you wouldn't put like a really complicated narrative or JRPG game there. Like if that's going to be worth talking about at all, it's probably going to be worth talking about at more length. So yeah, um, I'm actually quite slightly um, depressed by the line "chaps." The pod has made me suitably cynical, and I was like, oh no, that's the opposite of what the podcast tries to do, but. Oh well. well. I guess we've been like honest about mags and stuff. I know they're not. No, I'd say we. You know, hopefully we've sold them as positive experiences. I only had positive magazine experiences, so. 
yeah apart from the ones we don't talk about but yeah, <laughs> yeah. um okay uh so this is your one matthew keep getting the long ones don't you oh large gents it's <laughs> a theme here uh congrats on what has fast become my favorite podcast it really is exactly what i'm looking for in a video games discussion spicy takes churlishness big x energy and meat anyway on to the question as a new father to a seven-month-old baby boy, sleep is a stranger to me. There are nights where I'm lucky if I get three broken hours, truly the worst of times to counter the best of times that fatherhood brings. Which game do you feel uses sleep most effectively as a mechanic, and or what sleep-based mechanic would you like to see implemented in a future title? We all know sleep isn't as simple as choosing how much you want to sleep for and hitting OK as much as we'd like it to be. So... Oh, as much as we'd like it to be so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's from Mad Brood. Oh, yeah. Speaking of sleep, I need some. <laughs> um, so I came up with one answer for this. I have three answers for this, actually. Um, so uh, I really like sleep, the sleep mechanic in Bully. So Because you're, you're playing a teenager and your main character will fall asleep if they're not home in time, if you don't like put them to bed, basically. Um, <laughs> and I think I like that because it's um, it's a nice touch. It makes the main character seem innocent because he's a bit of a hard ass in the story and stuff. Um, because but he's like a, he is a teenager, he's a kid basically. So mm. I think it's a good bit of characterization that you he sort of nods off at about like one a.m. or something because he just shouldn't <laughs> be awake anymore. Um, and then he just wakes up. Sometimes people steal his clothes and he wakes up in his underpants. That's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, um, uh, the other one I thought of was um, I think Snorlax is a good use of a sleep mechanic because in Pokemon <laughs> Red and Blue he's a nuisance motherfucker who won't move even though he's blocking a road. And if he falls asleep in the uh, middle of a uh, uh, your battle with him when you wake him up, he replenishes his mighty HP bar. And I like the idea that like um, it's a nice example of how you can communicate like a belligerent sort of wanker in the form of game mechanics. Mm. It's like ties together quite nicely. In terms of like more kind of dreamy stuff, I thought about how Final Fantasy VIII, um, your characters black out and then basically time travel into the brains of like three guys in a war years ago, and then <laughs> it's very anime, but like um, basically they're there to sort of help supercharge these soldiers to sort of survive, and then there's like a an in-universe reason this exists. This this happens later on, but at the time in the game, your three characters black out. You don't really know what's going on, and you're suddenly in a place you don't recognize playing characters you don't really know but your your main characters are still there in the heads of the characters like communicating their thoughts so mm. that was another one that sprung to mind um did you have any for this matthew uh i like that in dying light uh, at night everything is like much harder and much scarier but you can like sleep the sleep go to bed and not worry about it at all i like that you can like sleep away the difficult mode or stay up and kind of deal with it i think that's that's quite fun um I mean, I find most sleep mechanics quite boring because it's you're not doing anything. You're just, like you say, you're pressing a button and, and, and just rejuvenating in some way. Though in uh, Death Stranding, you can, like, rest to regain your health. Um, and as you're, like, hiking about, you know, it's a case of, like, oh, I want to try and find somewhere kind of safe or pleasant to have a little sleep. And um, in the kind of connected online world where people sleep, sometimes leaves like um like a little pile of rocks i think they're cairns um yeah and uh if you see those cairns and sleep near them like you get i don't know your health comes back faster by sleeping there and i think that effect is amplified the more people who sleep there so i like the idea in that world that 
there are certain spots become kind of known sleeping spots just because lots of people are using them, which sort of feels true to how, you know, people navigate the world. Like you have safe havens or whatever that develop over time. And that's one of the neat little things in Death Stranding. I mean, I can't say I've got any great ideas for how I want sleep (laughs) to be used in games because, you know, sleep is uh, seems quite a boring thing. Important, but boring. I wouldn't want to sleep in games. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think like um, I, by I, I empathise with your plight as a dad who has to be awake a lot. Like um, I'm very tired just from having a, a job, so that's why I've um, opted not to have children. Because I eat big sandwiches. <laughs> that is also a factor. Yes, um, being overweight. Um, but yeah, uh, dear TGM brackets two giant men. Um, <laughs> does choosing what game you're going to play differ if you know you're also going to be writing about something or discussing it on a podcast? Do you try to differentiate clearly between gaming for job purposes and gaming for leisure purposes when I assume it's quite tricky to turn off the analytical part of you? Would you intentionally choose not to play something you're playing for review, deadlines allowing, even if you're really enjoying it so you can take a break from work gaming? Keep up the good work, Ian Welby. What's your thoughts on this one, Matthew? Yeah, and I've said a few times on this podcast that my brain is broken from years of work and freelance where I, I find it very hard to motivate myself to play stuff if it's not for work that isn't a cynical like if you're not paying me i'm not playing it like i i just i almost i need the fear of a deadline to kind of power me through games otherwise i'd only play them for like half an hour at a time if left to my own devices like it's quite rare that like horizon 2 is probably the first game this year that i finished like without it being for anything in particular even then i was like well i might talk about it on the podcast Mm. um so yeah my brain is just fried by this job I and I, I don't know it'll ever truly recover unless I just <laughs> stepped away from it and the pod for like years and I don't plan to do that. Um so like right now I'm um dabbling again with Xenoblade on the Switch. Uh because I know Xenoblade three is coming out, so I'm like prepping my brain to to write about some Xenoblade. So you know but that's just I'm mad, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I worked in games media now, like um three years this year. So uh, I feel like I'm trained out of that a little bit. There are definitely games I never went back to because I reviewed them um, and the right. appetite had cooled off. Uh, so like The Division 2 was one that I thought of where I played 50 hours of it for the PC game review then didn't really go back. That's partly because none of my friends were playing it. Um, so that was kind of a shame. It's definitely a game to be shared with other people. Really fun when you do. So yeah, even though I loved it, I didn't really go back. Um, but I must admit, when we play games to podcast, it feels less like a chore because you know it's not work i've been assigned i've chosen to talk about it on the episode so i've picked something that i i or you would enjoy replaying or revisiting um now of course we have patreon so we have the incentive of like being paid for our time essentially um so that's nice too so you can kind of treat it like a little freelance assignment but because we're picking things we actually care about it doesn't feel that transactional you know what i mean um so yeah mm. doesn't fuss it doesn't bother me so much what's next one matthew dear samuel and matthew oh no You've been trapped in a Freaky Friday situation and swap bodies. You have until the following Friday where you learn the lesson and swap back bodies. What's one nice thing you do for your podcast power in their body? And what do you do to sabotage their respective competing video game publisher? For a bonus point, what is the lesson you had to learn to swap back bodies? Love the pod. Makes Friday that much better. That's from Conky Donker. <laughs> um, so... I would delete delivery off of Matthew's phone. Um, oh. I just sort of see how he gets on without it. That's like I don't know if that's a friendly gesture or not, but certainly I'd just see what happens if I did that um, mm. to see if he'd take the hint about changing his lifestyle slightly. 
Um, <laughs> maybe just start get into like making really elaborate lasagnas or something. Seems unlikely, <laughs> but I'm willing to give it a punt. So do that. Um, but in terms of destroying his reputation, the, uh, Matthew Castle Productions, I'd close Sing again um, <laughs> on his behalf. Destroying his reputation and severing his ties to the Hotel Dusk franchise as a brand ambassador. Um, Hotel Dusk HD would be cancelled live on stage at E3. Um, and uh, yeah, a cancelling on the stage at E3. <laughs> yeah, it seems like bad form, doesn't it? But um, you know, this if we talk about corporate sabotage in the body of another person, then this is a way to go. Um, for a bonus point, what is the lesson you had to learn uh, to swap back bodies? For this, I put. Um, the lesson I had to learn is that sometimes a subway is a real substitute for food that adults are supposed to eat. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, you already knew that though. That's that's the judgment you brought to my body and then deleted my Deliveroo app. Yeah, that's true. But like, uh, yeah, yeah. Are you are you using delivery for Subway? Are you? Um, you don't just walk over there. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> it's not that far from your house, is it? It's listen, about... <laughs> listen. No one we, knows what's we... going on. <laughs> and we don't talk about it. No, we don't need to litigate that. That's fine. Um, okay, what about you, Matthew? Um, well, as a nice thing for you, um, I'd buy uh, an HDMI splitter, um, some plug splitters, some cable ties, and I'd really sort out like all your consoles and cables. <laughs> so really I'd nice. plug everything in, and so you wouldn't be upset about having to plug in a Wii U or anything. I'd do that for you. That's really nice. That's a genuinely nice gesture. I'm actually slightly moved. Yeah. Um, to sabotage, though, um, I'd open your window and shout hate speech out of it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm in the middle of an estate, so people definitely hear you. Um, yeah, I'd also ring the local news first <laughs> and say I've got something to tell you. <laughs> I'd say I'm Sammy Roberts and I got something to tell you. <laughs> and then lots of hate speech, lots and, and lots, then lots of hate, of hate speech. speech. Yeah. Okay. Like whatever took my fancy in the moment. Okay. What's the lesson you had to learn from swapping back bodies? Uh, I actually struggled to come up with one of these. Don't use um, hate speech? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Like, I want the listeners to know I wouldn't naturally go for that. I'm just trying to sabotage him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd do. I like, I, I like the idea of, like, comparing closing sing again to um, <laughs> shouting out of uh, hate speech out of your window in the middle of Bath. Like, those are quite, uh, quite a contrast there. I mean, it's a lot less elaborate. I mean... Based on your scenario, we're swapping bodies during E3, which means like I could just shout hate speech at E3. Oh yeah, that's even worse. That's true. <laughs> that is In the worse. middle of LA Live, um, you could <laughs> <laughs> on that huge stage. I'd get like someone famous up on stage as well, so they'd be. Re- I get Keanu Reeves and Paul McCartney, and they'd be really shocked. <laughs> oh, that's a good answer. Um, good stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas I'd have Randy Newman in a helicopter indoors. Let's see how that goes. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, my one but yeah um okay i just uh, don't think we should use the freaky friday scenario to kill what the other one loves <laughs> like that seems bad what i'm doing is creating an element of danger i'm not saying i'll actually kill him with the helicopter <laughs> right. um, i'm just trying to like you I, know top your last e3 conference that could be good for your reputation i don't want to jump back into my body and find like randy newman's blood on my hands <laughs> that would be tough i mean you are the guy who collapsed him from the roof in the uh the car so um mm. yeah okay um, all right, good. Uh, on this next question, maybe it makes more sense if you read this next question, Matthew. I would love to know how Samuel's switch from journalist and writer to PR man is going and how he's finding that side of things, says Sip G. Uh, very short answer to this one. Ask me in a week when I've launched a game. Um. 
Uh, no, it's 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 good. It's good. Uh, I sort of like at first I was like, oh, is it a bit uneasy doing this podcast still because it's kind of like games media sort of, but. I treasure this podcast too much to give it up. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it's like particularly egregious what we say or do on here. So um, I think it's fine. But um, yeah, it's it's really refreshing to have a sort of career change. I was in uh, a big need of it. It's nice to switch to this where I feel like I've been learning lots and doing lots of cool things and um, making a difference and working with some really cool devs. Uh, yeah, it's good. Um, you know, getting to uh, sort of like see that side of things is really is genuinely interesting. Um, people just want to make great games and get them to the hands of people who want to play them. So it's it's good. Ooh. It's good. Yeah. Uh, any further thoughts there, Matthew? <laughs> no, it's been it's been you know good good as your pal from afar, seeing you get uh, get to grips with this, and you definitely seem much happier with it. So I'm pleased for you. Oh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Um, good stuff. So, uh, dear Matthew and Samuel, love the pod. How do you feel about the boomer shooter slash early 3D FPS trend? Do you too have much affection for the gameplay of Quake, the Unreals, etc.? I'm most interested if you feel the low poly early 3D style has chops as an intentional visual aesthetic in the way that pixel art has. That's from Craft Cheese. What do you think of this one, Matthew? Uh, like to be honest, in this period, I was like always into Nintendo. My PC gaming was largely point and click games. Like I'm a real point and click nerd, and that's kind of all I played. I obviously played like demos of most of these things. We had Quake, we had Unreal for sure. Um, I can't say I've got huge affection for them. Um, like the, the thing about that them as an aesthetic, you know, I think the pixel art style works very well because it's kind of a, it's almost like a kind of complete movement. You know, it's sort of done. You know, it's it's of its time. It's sort of fixed. Where I see the kind of three D graphics in these games were more of like stepping stones to like the the modern 3D games and you know where you know the style has sort of evolved I would say into something better I've still got you know a bit of nostalgia and you know when I see these games I I have a fondness for how they look but I can't say like I'm desperate to play lots of things in the style um which maybe loses me my hardcore credentials if not knowing what fucking kayfabe was uh, this definitely will do it and also not having an android handheld um this episode has really ended me with a very certain uh, segment of our audience yeah some people are really listening because they thought you had a hand- an android handheld matthew um, and like wrestling and quake <laughs> i think we made your feelings on wrestling very clear when we told the story about you at wrestlemania but uh yeah um okay good stuff um uh, Trump will be shaved at dawn or whatever. No, John Cena, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Trump will be bald by night's end. Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah. Beautiful. Come on, please. <laughs> that's good. George R. R. Martin level stuff there. Um, yeah, okay, good. So um, I, I sort of, I think you're right there. I think that like there's an element of um, pixel art, you know, they're riffing on the end of the snares and Mega Drive eras where that, that form was perfected and um, arguably, and that, and that sort of, uh, you know, that style was replaced with 3D to a large extent. Um, and so, yeah, I think the fact they're riffing on on a, such a complete visual style with such amazing modern technology that can bring it to life in different ways. Look at the way, like something like Dead Cells is animated. Uh, look at the way that, like, um, uh, sort of like Octopath Traveler and that um, triangle strategy use um, pixel art. Like, there's loads mm. of cool ways you can use that. So, I think in terms of comparing the sort of uh, the chops of it, I suppose, like the longevity. I think you're right that like um, maybe there's a bit more specificity to riffing on something like uh, Quake or Unreal that means it doesn't have the same legs necessarily. But that said, 
Um, I really, um, I've only played a little bit of Dusk, but I really liked what I played of it. Um, I, I have not played it a medieval, but um, I heard that's got a, rep- a good reputation too. Um, mm. I get very excited when I see games from this time. So yeah, like um, you see Night Dive do these sort of remasters. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that like um, I, I am taken with this aesthetic. Like my sort of way into it was maybe a little bit different. So. Um, I was big into Unreal Tournament, which might be slightly later than what you're asking about here. Um, but that's that style, that visual style really speaks to me. I played like you know a lot of Raven software sort of shooters in the early noughties, and I was big into Jedi Knight and Dark Forces. And you see those styles being riffed on quite a lot. So yeah, I like I like seeing that stuff riffed upon. But does it have the legs of Pixel Art? I mean, I, I think Pixel Art is just like an unstoppable uh, sort of visual style now. Like it'll never fade away, and there seems to be endless ways that people can use that and. This is maybe a bit more closed off, you know? Okay, wow, cool. Th- that was a, a great answer, and I think you managed to get a lot of people back on board. <laughs> That's good. Um, and I'll buy Matthew a, an illegal Android handheld for like 20 quid that um, breaks after two months, and uh, but, yes. le- but lets him play Golden Sun for two hours before it crashes or something. That'd be good. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, would either of the hosts ever consider doing a top 10 point and click uh, episode after the news of a new Monkey Island being in the works broke? Or is that not a genre you're big into? That's from Doomacan on Discord. What about you, Matthew? Uh, yeah, short answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Monkey Island. I think we've got a definitely got a LucasArts game uh, episode on our to-do list. Um, I know, obviously, there's a lot of stuff outside of that as well. But um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... Uh, me and Matthew are really keen to um, use another episode format this year called the Hall of Fame, where you boil down the number of um, like a, a complete history of a games company down into like several games that you consider the most important, the representative of that uh, archive. We think that could be a fun, challenging exercise. We again nicked it from the big picture, um, the film <laughs> podcast we enjoy because they're very good at coming up with these formats and. Um, so, yeah, if you ever hear an idea on there, um, you can expect to hear it on here at some point in some other form, um, warped and with discussion of sandwiches and all that other bullshit we like. Um, it's not a genre I know that well, actually. So um, it passed me by as a kid a little bit. Uh, so I would have to do a bit of research for it. Uh, yeah, I never really quite got into these games, but um, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I loved point-and-click games. Yeah, the Monkey Island, uh, Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis, uh, the Discord games I loved as well. Um, not broken sword. I'm not a broken sword guy. Um, as has come up a couple of times. So mm, yeah, there you go. but yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, I was playing all the other LucasArts games that had Jar Jar Binks in them and such. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you want to read this next one, Matthew? I, I I'm click on use knife on Jar Jar Binks. Oh, <laughs> uh, if only they made a Star Wars point and click. That seems like a, a missed opportunity, doesn't it? But um, mm. license to print money. Anyway, why don't you give the next one, Matthew? Are there any running jokes from a magazine you think were a bit bizarre slash regret that you regret looking back on them? As a child, my entire perception of Hull was formed as O&M before Matthew's time would constantly compare the city to any terrible neighbourhood in games, Mute City, Space Junk Galaxy, etc. Years later, I'll probably never go to Hull because of this, says Jamie. (laughs) Yeah, I I couldn't actually think of anything specific. There weren't like running jokes in a lot of the mags I worked on. I do remember like the running jokes I remember from PC Gamer were kind of like jokes about the staff. That was like a big kind of future... Mm. sort of like thing it's like in jokes about stuff there's plenty of cringe stuff in 90s back in 90s games mags to look back on for sure but like <laughs> I, I do remember hull getting a lot of beating actually in some of the mags i read like hull being yeah. called a boring place or something like that but the truth is if you 
if, if it's not one of about six cities in the UK, it probably is a bit boring. <laughs> well, yeah, there were just certain things, there's certain things that sort of sounded like Hull or like Skegness because it's got a hard sort of sound in it. People would often use, yeah, I mean, like the thing with these in-jokes, the really important thing is you couldn't really force them. They had to happen quite organically. On an end gamer, like it wasn't some affectation, like if a joke was in the mag, it was because it made us laugh. If it was in the mag several times, it was because, you know, we were trying to make each other laugh. You know, if then readers took to it or picked up on it, even better, that kind of sort of cemented it. Sometimes you had a feeling when you wrote something, you think, oh, I think that's actually going to, like, run and run. You know, we did this terrible wee wheel, which in our advert for it, we, we were under strict instructions from our publisher to tell everyone that it was worth £7. <laughs> and I always thought the kind of shoutiness of that made it seem very dubious. It was like something sort of desperate, sort of um, Jack Lemon and Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross about it, you know, sort of, <laughs> it's worth £7. And we were like, ugh. So he kept making fun of that in the mag, and then that became a thing. I still to this day have people saying worth £7 to me. Um, because that stupid wee wheel. Um, Didn't people want to call I, the paid Patreon tier, like the XL tier, <laughs> worth £7 tier, Matthew? That was oh, like, yeah. that would have been good. Yeah, it would have been really abstract, but actually really funny to be like, worth £7, £4.50. That would actually oh, be quite good. Oh, Jesus. Missed opportunity. Fuck. Oh, God damn it. You see, I've just not got the brain I had back then. Um, <laughs> but I guess, like, linking back to that question about the sex ads earlier, <laughs> like, Endgamer wasn't, like, too obnoxious, I don't think. There's nothing I'm too embarrassed about running joke wise it was just silly like a lot of it just didn't land you know you look back at it and the worst you can say is like oh it was a bit try hard you know there was nothing mean and mean about it we weren't we weren't cruel or unkind people and we didn't make a cruel or unkind mag i don't think yeah that's fair enough okay good yeah i can't i did get rid of all that whole shit from o&m though when i joined that that was never for me <laughs> that was that was cast stamping some authority on it. Matthew loves <laughs> what Hull. an ass! What an egotistical maniac <laughs> I was. Matthew loves Hull. Matthew declared Hull a city of culture in uh, 2013. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that was like the other staff's joke, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of that, course. That, that, that belongs to a different group of people. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sort of felt that way on Piece of Gamer. It's like I'm sure you have your own rapport. I have my own more strained rapport with the staff now, so I will um, <laughs> make my own jokes. <laughs> um okay good um hello bpp yeah we have had a lot of variations on our um how we refer to here matthew (laughs) my question for the pod this week is have you ever somehow completely missed an important mechanic of a game for example in half-life 2 i never realized that you can actually control the rocket launcher rockets with your mouse after you fired them i'd shoot it at an enemy gunship and watch as time and time again my missiles would be shot down as i wasn't focused on guiding them towards the enemy meaning several set times i'd fire it in the general direction of the combine then run for cover somewhere only to be hit seconds later by my own missile, which had done a full 180 in the air and exploded at my feet, because I was now aiming at the ground directly in front of me. What should have been a fun, quick little skirmishes with an exciting and unpredictable enemy turned into a gruelling, minutes-long mission mar- a missile marathon that only ended when either I inevitably blew myself up again, or law of averages dictates that if I shoot enough missiles into the sky, some of them should hit the enemy. Even with it being the most dangerous weapon in the game, I actively avoided using the rocket launcher because I was so scared of its perceived unpredictableness. Um, despite this, it continues to be my favourite game ever. Have you guys ever had this? That's Danny Man, um, uh, long-time listener. Uh, any mechanics that you've completely missed, Matthew, that you didn't understand and then you went uh, through the whole game without it? Well, not the whole game, but for a long time playing Fallout 3, um, I didn't realise bottle caps were the currency. <laughs> so whenever I was looting anything and there were bottle caps, I wouldn't pick them up because I was like, why the fuck would I want that? <laughs> 
Uh, the funny thing is, though, because of the way they're displayed in your inventory, it does make them look like they're junk. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a UI thing, I think. Because the currency is called caps. They yeah. don't call them bottle caps. I just, I never, ever made the connection. And it, Well, I did, I know, I tell a lie. I eventually made the connection, but it was like 20 hours in of a real, like, oh, I see what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really recent example of this, actually, which is um, I've, I've just picked Tunic up again this week, right? And I got to a boss, quite a tricky boss, like um, one of the first major ones, I think. And um, I was fighting it for an hour, getting to the last bit of health and then like just failing. It was like a real absolute bastard. You have to use this little kind of knife against it. Tough, tough stuff. Um, And I had completely forgotten there was a healing mechanic in this game. So I had like four healing things that I hadn't been using for a whole hour because (laughs) I I was trying to hardcore do this without taking any hits, basically. Um, and then as soon as I realized, I did it in like two attempts. And I was like, okay, I'm a fucking idiot. Because I only played this game one month ago. And I've already forgotten one of the main <laughs> mechanics of this game. So that's an example of me already knowing a mechanic, then somehow forgetting it. Um, but another one I pulled out here, Matthew, is that um, I did, me and my partner, we played all of Persona 5 without realizing that um, you could force each relationship with the NPCs to advance if you wanted it to. Because um, they give you these slightly like... Um, non-committal responses sometimes but you have to keep pushing till you get a hangout and we were kind of always waiting for them to text us and say do you want to hang out and so we got to the end of the game and then realized we hadn't maxed out any of our relationships at all which was really disappointing so we never saw the end of those stories and i felt like that was like a i thought that was kind of the game's fault it doesn't really explain how hangout that hangout system works properly um so that was huh. fun i but, don't know yeah. if i even know that Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you ever get to level 10 with any of your friendships? And Yeah, person? I did. I know I was playing Royal. I don't know if they changed it a bit in that. Um, I, I, I doubt it. But I don't know. We just, we didn't get, we didn't feel it was that intuitive from doing it. We got to like Ryuji to like eight or nine or something. But the rest of them were all like five, six. So we had no romances or anything like that, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> just um, a lonely boy. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, so it's a bit controversial arguing with my partner about who we should romance in that game. So I was kind of glad the decision was taken out of my hands. That was good. Um, but yeah, so, so that's that's my answer. As a follow-up, Matthew, I actually did get um, Danny Mann here. People might remember that Danny Mann was the guy who um, uh, pretended he had The Sims 2 to impress a girl in a previous Games Court episode. Um, it oh, comes yeah. up quite a lot on the Discord, but um, I actually asked for a follow-up, and Danny did actually mail in. So if you listen to that episode a few months ago, um, here's this kind of sequel, basically. So what happened at the time was... Um, Danny um, pretended he built this awesome house to impress this girl who liked The Sims, didn't even have The Sims, stole money off of his mum to go and buy The Sims, um, went home, made it, and then the girl came over and it all kind of like um, frittered away, basically. It was kind of like the whole thing was uh, quite uh, quite sordid. Um, So here's a (laughs) follow-up. Hello, Matthew and Samuel. You asked for a bit of a follow-up to my sordid confession in the last podcast. Thank you for reading it out, by the way. Sorry if it's a bit rambly and long. Um, although I can't believe you cut out oh there was a joke that I cut out uh, for time we don't have to go over that the stealing £40 from my mum issue while despicable wasn't quite as bad as I'd made out I'd also taken several games with me to trade in but I was worried this still wouldn't cover the cost of The Sims 2 and the Pets expansion especially if I couldn't get them second hand so the stolen cash uh, was hopefully just to be used as a last resort I remember sneaking the change back into her purse I think it was probably only a tenner in the end I actually stole um, I'd like to uh, say I eventually paid this back, but let's be honest, I probably didn't. Uh, he's kind of like sugarcoating that. I think he stole from his mum and he's just hi- covering up. Um, P.S. My actual partner now, who I did not woo with a Sims expansion, FYI, one of her favourite shows is You on Netflix. 
Thanks to Samuel's comparison of me and the main character, which I said in that podcast, I'll never be able to watch it guilt-free again, which in some ways is even worse than being turned into wine. Um, a reference to the classic uh, Matthew Castle pulping thing. Um, how do you feel about the fact that pulping's become like a meme, Matthew, in our Discord channel? Are you happy with that? Uh, yeah, that's that's like the thing I was saying about the end game of running jokes. They sort of happen organically. If people take to them, they take to them. And great, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the wine glass is now like a classic reaction in the um, in the Discord, so um, you love to see it. But uh, yeah, a bit of a follow-up there, Matthew. Do you want to read out this next one? Yes. A lot of the interest in retro gaming was driven by a love for the 2D art and game styles that were shoved aside in the rush for 3D. Your chat about the aesthetics and mechanics of Max Payne made me wonder, are there other things that have fallen by the wayside since the peak back page era of mid-period 3D consoles that you miss? Yeah, I've got the, my longest answer is for this question, actually. Um, oh, well, hit, hit, hit me up. Yeah, I've got a big list. They're all kind of specific, actually. So first up, I, I, I put... Um, uh, something I mentioned in the previous episode, which was GTA clones disappearing. Um, mm-hmm. I was quite sad when that happened because I feel like while no one could match Rockstar, the competition was quite good for them and it was nice to have alternatives. And it, uh, I think they were just getting, like you said, they were con- controls and stuff were just getting good when they stopped making them. Um, that's kind of a shame. So that's why I'm actually quite excited about this new Saints Row that's coming out this year. Mm. I think that could be um, that could be pretty good. So I'm excited about that. Um, I miss elaborate handheld RPGs that thrived during the DS and PSP era. But Square Enix mm. has um, seemed determined to bring those back on the Switch, which I love. Um, this is actually, incidentally, why Nintendo not chasing super-powered hardware works well for me. Um, like, I don't want everyone making JRPGs to have to make monster-budget stuff. I like quite interesting in-between things, which is what I liked about the PSP and DS era. Um, mm-hmm. I've also cited uh, mid-sized Rockstar games here, Matthew. Mid-sized mm-hmm. by their standards, anyway. I'm talking about your bullies and and uh, and the like. Um, although all their games are pretty large in scale, really. But um, I, I guess like I kind of miss a twenty a twenty hour Rockstar game as opposed to like a sixty hour one that's got like a whole online component. Um, New Rockstar wouldn't make the Mories, for example. Yes, exactly. That seems very unlikely, doesn't it? Prove me wrong, though. I'd love to see it. But um, I miss uh, Summer of Arcade on XBLA. The idea of a curated season of new releases, kind of indie-ish type games, each week with a nice little sort of push. There's so much of everything all the time now, and that's kind of inevitable because that's sort of the market uh, we're in. But I liked mm. it when it was like Shadow Complex one week, or like Misplosion Man another week, or you know, mm. s- stacking or so. You know what I mean? Like that was quite cool, a cool way of um, formatting those games. And um, uh, <laughs> two, uh, a couple more things here. I miss preposterous licensed games that shouldn't exist but yield surprisingly good games, good results. Um, like the Wheelman with Vin Diesel, um, <laughs> yeah. or the Riddick games with Vin Diesel, um, or Fifty Cent Blood on the Sand. I miss shit James Bond games, uh, The Darkness, uh, things like that. Basically, Buffy Chaos Bleeds. Um, bit of a spread in terms of years there, but you know that kind of like weird mid-level license games kind of died out, and like um, a lot of my favourite sort of weirdo things come from that type of game and i miss non-open world bioware games those are that's my list matthew so quite a lot mm. there. but um oh, i love that what an amazing list that sounded like a very wistful monologue in a play <laughs> it's everyone's like oh, oh oh hush hush it's the i miss monologue where that <laughs> old guy talks about all the stuff he misses from 2006 <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um that was yeah I, I thought i thought quite a lot about it there because there's, there's a lot like there's a lot I love about modern gaming. I'm not one of these guys who's like, gaming's worse now than it's ever been. There's some things yeah. I don't like about games. NFTs, I do not put those anywhere near my games. I don't want those at all. But 
uh, yeah, you know, I like I, I sort of there's stuff I miss. But what about you? Everything now is like all or nothing in terms of budget. You know, you either make a hundred million dollar game that becomes the biggest game on the planet, or you basically fuck off. Um, <laughs> there's there's no space for like weird stuff. You know, there's no there's no Wii tier console. You know, there's no Little King story. There's no Zack and Wiki anymore. I don't know who would make those games. I don't know what the equivalent of those games are now. Hmm. And uh, the other thing is the lack of a portable gaming device from from the big platform holders. I mean, I know the Switch is portable, but I mean an equivalent of the DS, the PSP, the 3DS, the Vita. Um, I think it's between mobile gaming and home console gaming, which the Switch still is in my eyes, there is a tier of weird games made for less powerful hardware that will never ever exist again. You you said the JRPGs. I would say all genres benefit from the games that happened in that space, mm. and they never will again. Like particularly Nintendo, it feels like there's a lot of thinking and a lot of craft that they won't really ever have to tap into because they won't make something which is portable only, and they've got hardware that doesn't need to be limited. So I, I miss those two things. So we come to the final question of this mailbag which is, uh, what games do you guys think deserve better? Games whose brilliance was not recognised in their time. As a former PC gamer reader in the 90s, I know that the answer to this is Looking Glass's Terra Nova Strike Force Centauri, as okay. articles <laughs> lamenting its obscurity seem to be to, to, uh, to a penny. Oh, not ten a penny. Is that a term? I don't know. Curious to hear your takes, though. Personal to dear. Um, what's your take on this, Matthew? What, what, which games do you think deserve better? I imagine you have a fucking giant list of these, right? They're oh, I don't, no, I've literally written one. <laughs> I've only written one. <laughs> well, a Little King story would surely be one, right? Oh, yeah, well, I, I think the reason I struggle with this is it's kind of what this podcast is. Yeah, it's a little bit. If you've been listening to this, it would just be me repeating, you know, the Sing games, all the games on Wii from big publishers that people weren't playing because they were playing their shiny AAA games on 360 and PS3. <laughs> you know, I feel like I do not need to tell people I like Hotel Dusk again. <laughs> nah, definitely not. Um, but a, what about Apuna? Do you need to give Apuna another shout <laughs> Apuna. Yeah, I'm, uh, Rich Santon's more of an Apuna guy than I am. Um, he's <laughs> Or a bigger say. Puna head. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the only thing I wrote here was Final Fantasy Crystal Bearers, which I know you fucking hate. <laughs> oh, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was mediocre. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I wrote that as a prompt for like all those kind of games that we have talked about. So uh, sorry if it's a lazy answer, but I would say if you listen to our best of the year lists from the start of this podcast up to now... I think we offer a pretty detailed account of of the hidden gems. Yeah, I think so. Like a lot of the stuff that I, I you know, I've 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 done the whole god hand shtick. I've I've been there, done that. You know what I mean? Like um, we've we've been there. But um, yeah, I I sort of like I put a few here that I I, I would shout out like Amped Three. I put here like a snowboarding Ooh, okay. game on three sixty that was a launch game, but had a really funny um sort of like tone. Sort of like threw in like a bunch of comedy stuff that worked quite well. I thought. Um, quite quite wholesome comedy, um, but was kind of ignored. And uh, you know the other two amped games, I think, were quite serious snowboarding games. It's a bit of a, a left turn. Never got made like um, backwards compatible. This one so um, remains a bit of a forgotten gem. Uh, loved that game. I think that Enslaved was a bit underrated. Um, the what they called Ninja Theory mm-hmm. um, uh, game, the um, that came out in twenty ten featured Andy Serkis and was kind of like a, a retelling of Journey to the West, but set in this future that probably influenced The Last of Us quite a lot, I would say. Yeah, um, that's kind of underappreciated, I think. Here's a really weird one, actually. Age of Mythology, I think, is a bit underrated. Age of Empires has like a massive sort of following, but 
the idea of adding lots of kind of like weird mythological creatures and stuff to this this template mm. um worked really well i was big into it when they did the um extended edition in 2014 really nice to revisit that i would love to have seen that get like a new entry like um age of empires 4 did last year that'd be really cool um that's a bit underrated um sort of think people didn't really appreciate what mirror's edge catalyst did well people were really burned out on like there's some bad mandatory combat in that but i thought it was a really good open world translation of what the original mirror's edge did well um looked phenomenal as well um don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those matthew i wasn't a huge enslaved guy i must admit i was sort of i found it like a little too simple in everything it did right um maybe i need to go back and revisit it i don't think i even finished it well we are done with the mailbag matthew as ever it ran quite long um <laughs> but i'll uh, i'll cut it back so people get the best bits um where can that's people... fine i know everyone's a fan of the mailbag so <laughs> yeah only ever hear good things about mailbag from our peers especially yeah <laughs> um so where can people find you on social media matthew i am at mr basil underscore pesto i'm samuel w roberts you can follow the podcast at backpage pod um, we're patreon.com slash backpagepod if you'd like to support the podcast financially and get um, a podcast in return for backing the XL tier. And uh, thank you very much for all uh, all your correspondence for this um, uh, this episode. Uh, you can find the um, pod questions uh, uh, thread on our Discord and throw some more in there. And next time we do a what we've been playing, we'll answer a bunch more of your uh, your questions. So thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye for now.